live with the founder of the hashtag walkaway movement, Brandon Strzok. Totally random video for the intro today. I figured I was going to start with either Joe Biden or uh, the other one, <laughs> Justin Trudeau. But I think a lot of you are going to be nauseated by the substance of tonight's discussion that I didn't want to start everyone off by being nauseated or nauseous or repulsed at the uh, geopolitical state of the world. We're going to get there. So I figured I'd start with something fun. That's, uh, on, the se- that's on the third channel, Viva Family. Um, I like the invention. I think I'm going to try to figure something out. If I turn the mouth side of the invention into a mouthpiece with a suction cup, sticks on an iPhone, boom. Okay, people, the banality of life aside, tonight's going to be, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, I don't know, I I suspect a lot of us are overlapping with with TimCast. I was sitting there earlier this week watching TimCast. I'm watching the episode with an individual named Brandon Strzok. Now, first thing I'm going to get out uh, of this when Brandon comes on is whether or not it's Strzok or Straka, if it's a silent A at the end. Listening to a story... And about what we'll call persecution because it's beyond prosecution of January 6th. And I'm sitting there saying, I've been covering stories of what I perceive to be egregious political persecution of January 6th accused. And this story only rings the faintest of bells. We know about uh, Jake Angeli, the QAnon shaman. We know about the grandmother who was pleaded guilty, paid a fine. We know of the pe- we know of some of these stories, and yet I'm I'm in the thick of it. I hadn't heard of this story from Brandon Strzok. I've heard I had heard about the hashtag walk away movement. I had heard I think I heard remember vaguely about this story and listening to the details of Brandon talking about this on 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 Timcast. I was like, I, I've got to I've I've got to reach out and see if he can come on and we can discuss this. So we've got Brandon Strzok. We're going to talk about this January six stuff, the hashtag walk away movement an individual who once considered himself to be a liberal democrat who at some point decided that uh, either they left him or he's leaving them uh it's going to be phenomenal now standard disclaimers no medical advice no election fortification advice no medical advice um super chats youtube takes 30 percent. if you don't like that uh we're simultaneously streaming on rumble just make sure that we are same routine every single time um, Rumble has these things called Rumble Rants, which are the equivalent of Super Chats. Uh, Rumble takes 20%, so it's better for the creator, better for the platform, yada, yada, you know the shtick. Best place to support me and Barnes if you want to, vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Um, I may or may not bring up the Super Chats because I don't want to distract the, from the discussion. If there's a relevant question, definitely going to bring it up. Questions, put them in the chat. We're going to get there. But we'll start off just by getting... Uh, Two, two, two right out of the way, just so we can see. This is a super chat, people. It's a way to support the channel. Although some people take issue with the fact that it's also a way to support YouTube. I read an article from the NIHGov website and YTube gave me a... <laughs> Hillbilly heart. There's no rhyme or reason to it, except the rhyme and reason is that even if you read something in the NIH, if it runs afoul of the narrative, you, you're you're... You're taking chances. Two steam is all dressed in a cheeseburger or crispy chicken poutine. I need to know fast. Crispy poutine. Boom. Shakalaka. Okay. Let's bring him in. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make, uh, I'm not going to ask Brandon to wait any longer than he, than he has already been waiting five minutes, people. Brandon, I'm bringing you in. Get ready. I'm ready. I believe this layout 
tonight, people, because Brandon has got one heck of a backdrop that we're going to talk about. Brandon, first of all, thank you. Thank you for coming. How goes the battle? Uh, the battle marches on. I march on. Uh, I want to thank you for having me on, actually. Um, it's it's great to, I think, have any platform uh, at all to be able to discuss the events of what happened. It's uh, alarming that something like this could happen to someone like me who is pretty well known and for many years was, um, you know, a featured uh, guest on Fox News regularly, uh, Newsmax, OAN, all over, and that uh, the FBI can come and round you up and nobody talks about it. So uh, I guess better late than never. Here we are a year and a half afterwards, and finally people are getting a little bit curious about what happened. So thanks for the opportunity. Oh, and by the way, one more thing, too. I just want you to know that I, for people who have been following me for years, they know that I very recently cut my hair. Uh, but my, you and I have the exact same hair. Uh, well, that's I, I noticed <laughs> it now in the thumbnail. I had a longer, a longer. You had longer hair in the picture. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you something. First of all, there's going to be a lot of let's go Brandon jokes tonight. I'm sure you. In addition to the, 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 you know, the DOJ upending your personal life, Joe Biden has upended your your first name now. But I, I'm sure you. <laughs> no, used I to like it. it. Um, j now j the elevator pitch just like. 30,000 foot overview before we get into the childhood stuff, who you were, who you are, because you, you've existed for a long time in the social media space before the events. We're going to get to all of it, but elevator pitch for anybody who might not know who you are. Uh, my name is Brandon Strzok. I created something called the walkaway campaign in 2018, which is a movement uh, for people, former liberals who are walking away from the Democratic Party. Uh, I started it in 2018 as a testimonial campaign for people to create video and written testimonials telling their stories about why they're walking away from the left. Um, it has been uh, an incredibly successful movement. And um, the original group where I created it in, in uh, on Facebook in 2018 got banned by Facebook in uh, January of 2021, two days after January 6th, same day that they banned President Trump. Um, and at that time, we had about 510,000 people in that group and tens of thousands of video and written testimonials, uh, which are now gone uh, because that content was all just you know, disappeared the moment the Facebook banned it. Um, that being said, we still have a, you know, a YouTube channel and things like that, where we still have, I don't know, about a thousand or so walkaway videos that we preserved. Um, and we're going to be relaunching the testimonial movement later this year on our own platform, walkaway social. So yeah. there's much more to it than that, but I guess that's kind of the, the beginning elevator pitch. And we're getting into it in detail. And I, I, you know, we talked for 30 seconds before the stream, I'm going to probably ask more questions than I should uh, leave it to your better discretion. I'm not going to push on certain things. I don't want to get you in trouble, any more trouble than you already you know, got into. Uh, but I'm, I got, I got, I got so any many more trouble than you're already in. Mister. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, so, it, people are watching. People are waiting, looking for you to screw up, looking for you to breach whatever terms of your release that there are. Yeah. Um, starting from the very, very beginning. First of all, your last name is struck and not Straka. Yeah, well, it's my so it's spelled Straka, just like you have it there on the screen. But it's um, my family pronounces it Strock. Um, to be clear, I don't care if people mispronounce it because it's I mean, I grew up most of my life with about 90 percent of people saying Brandon Straka and the people who know me well say Brandon Strock. And I am equally comfortable with both pronunciations. So 
And now you're born and raised in New York, from what I understand? New York no, State? No, no, no. I, I'm born and raised in a small town, Nebraska. And then I moved to New York City after I graduated from high school, and I lived in New York City for 20 years. Small town, Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, how many siblings and what did your parents do? Or what do they do? Um, so my dad is a cattle rancher. And um, my mom, uh, off and on throughout their lives, had jobs kind of assisting in that endeavor. So at one time, my dad uh, had a large cattle operation in what they call um, a cattle feedlot. And I'm sure that's probably something most people don't know. But in uh, here in the Midwest, like a, a cattle feedlot is basically where, um, you know, if you're in like a large agricultural area, a lot of people who raise cattle will basically have someone feed their cattle until it's time for slaughter. And so that's maybe not the most glamorous thing in the world, but that's, you know, what my dad did. And my mom helped run the office at the feedlot. So, I mean, it was very much like a, a modest Midwestern upbringing. Um, I would call us kind of a lower middle-class family. Neither of my parents are college educated, but they're, you know, they just were, uh, blue, you know, blue collar, hardworking people. And, um, and then, uh, siblings, I have, uh, one biological brother and my family took in two of my cousins as well to raise. So I basically was raised with three siblings in the household. Uh, this will be one of those moments where I probably pry more than I should, but if they take in two cousins, I presume that's because they had, um, a tragedy or family issues. Yeah. And by the way, I'm very much an open book and nothing offends me. So please don't have to feel like you you're dancing around anything. Um, so my mother is one of 10 children and her father died when she was five. So my grandmother was left to raise 10 kids on her own. None of which were out of the house, by the way, they were all still in high school down to being a baby. And my grandmother was a farm wife. My grandfather who I never met was a farmer. And, um, so, uh, the oldest of my mother's siblings, uh, left the house as soon as she could, you know, did what I think she felt like was her only option. As soon as she got to be 18 years old, she married the first person who would get her out of that house of 10 kids and went and had, um, six or seven children of her own. And it ended up being a very abusive marriage. And, uh, he left her and she ended up, breaking down psychologically. And so there were six or seven kids in the house who were not being cared for. So my mother being one of 10, uh, the kids in that were not being cared for kind of got split among the families and we ended up taking two of them. So that happened, you know, when I was little, little, little. So to me, they were just my brother and my sister, although they were biologically my cousins. Um, if it was, and when did you when did you learn about that? And, and what was the relationship? I mean, I'll, we won't stick on this for too long, but I mean, I'm curious, what was your relationship then with your aunt, whose two kids you ended up, uh, you know, uh, considering siblings? Did she ever recover from the from the breakdown and take the kids back? Did she totally disappear from the family? Or how did that family dynamic work? You know, it's so interesting that this is we're even talking about this right now because the, first of all this has never come up in any interview i've ever done and as we speak um that aunt is at the end of her life i mean they literally think that she might go today or tomorrow or um so 
No, she never really recovered. Um, she certainly had stretches throughout her life where she was psychologically and emotionally better than at other times. But she's pretty much consistently lived her life under some sort of psychiatric care and needing some kind of assistance. And um, th the kids, as they got divided up, stayed where they were. So my family raised my brother and sister from the moment they came to my house until they went through college and still are, you know, that's still the family unit. And uh, the other kids in that family who went to stay with others stayed in those homes until they too went through college. And yeah, I, I, I always understood it. Um, it was never, there was never a moment where I was like, what? They're my cousins. Uh, you know, I, it was, um, it just was sort of what our family dynamic was. And it was always, you know, I always knew those were my cousins, but to, I, I called them my brother and my sister. And um, that's just the way it is. That's amazing. So it, it, I say small town, Nebraska, and that's not to be demeaning or derogatory whatsoever. Like you're growing up in the most beautiful scenery imaginable. I know what I think of when I think of Nebraska. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, a it's very agricultural farmland. Um, everything is, uh, cornfields and cattle or livestock pastures. Um, certainly not something I had a respect for when I was growing up. I was one of those like very sort of ambitious. I, I, I am a city person. I'm I, like from birth, from the moment I could walk and talk, I was like, get me to a city. Um, so I didn't have a respect for where I grew up when I was there. And now I do. Um, I, I have a respect for every the small town lifestyle, the people, um, the beauty of cornfields and, and cattle pastures and things like that. I mean, it is beautiful and it's serene and um, it's great, um, especially I think after you have you go and you live in a city for a long, long time and you start to gain an awareness after a while that uh you know, city city life is great for somebody who wants to have that like that rhythm and that tempo and to be really busy and have that sort of adventure. But, you know, there's an emptiness to that, too. Just like when I was growing up, I thought it was really empty to live in a small town. Um, I think anything is as empty as, or as full as you view it. And so I, I view the small town life as more full now than I did before. Fantastic. And um, uh, what was my question going to be? So, so when did you then leave Nebraska? I left Nebraska um, very shortly after I graduated from high school. Uh, my dream was to be an actor and a singer. And I, I wasn't really sure which path that would take because I wanted to be a recording artist. And I also wanted to be in movies and TV. And um, I, th my experience was in theater, uh, because that's all that was accessible to me. Like if I wanted to act and I wanted to sing, it's not like they have, you know, a major movie production studio in, uh, O'Neill, Nebraska, where I was growing up. So the only experience that I had was basically to do musicals and stuff like that. So, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to go to New York uh, because it, to me, that feels like that's where the most uh, that's where I'll kind of find my way. I, you know, I figured if I go to Los Angeles, which was also on the table, I also had thought maybe I'll go to L.A. right after I graduate from high school. But then it was pretty clear um, my 
I'm likely going to just pursue film and television and it'll be limited to that. Excuse me. Whereas in New York, I felt like I had more um, uh, uh, more options to find my path. Uh, but I mean, kind of ironically, I ended up just doing theater in New York anyway, which was not really my dream. Uh, I did a little bit of film and television and uh, like a tiny bit of there was like five minutes where I performed in a band. Um, but that never really was anything either. So, yeah, I ended up mostly just doing like theater and I, I left for New York shortly after high school. And now, politically speaking, growing up, because you're, you're going to have we're going to get into the transition from liberal Democrat to what the Internet now calls you a republican uh (laughs) provocateur i don't think i saw the word provocateur but i saw some other unflattering words politically speaking (laughs) growing up uh we we think you know some people refer to nebraska or you know middle america as derogatory flyover country everyone thinks it's all you know republican conservative is it was it your bringing uh your upbringing coming up and how did you get from wherever you started to liberal democrat (laughs) and then we'll get how you got into walking away you know, it, yes, it, I, I mean, I think it is mostly conservative, and I think that a lot of the heartland of America is mostly conservative. But just like anywhere else, um, big well, cities tend to attract more liberals. And so, you know, like the biggest city in uh, Nebraska is Omaha, and Omaha often goes blue. Um, so Omaha is certainly much more liberal, and um, the rest of the state is pretty red. And uh, uh, what was the rest of your question? Oh, so oh, growing up, was it was it a was it a conservative a conservative household? Did you, did you grow up? Did you end up rebelling from what you were brought up with, or did you always start liberal ish? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my parents are conservative. Okay, it's like this is a joke I always make. So my like I think my mom more than my dad like always <laughs> she she always says like you know we just believe in voting for the best candidate. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, like I'd love to know when my mom ever voted for a Democrat. Uh, but I think she says that just to be kind of like open-minded and fair, but I would describe my parents as conservative and um, my siblings, my brother, my biological brother was definitely conservative. Um, I actually think he's become more liberal as he's gotten older. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. He and I don't really talk, so I don't know uh, that much about how he feels about things. But um, it was a very conservative uh, atmosphere growing up, and it's something I definitely rebelled against because I um, I knew that I was gay when I was very little, and I also knew that people were not necessarily okay with that, especially at that time. And, um, and I, you know, and then I tied that to political parties. And, uh, so that made me, you know, want to also, you have to understand like the, the little town that I grew up in, it's a very religious town. It's like a mostly Catholic town. And I went to Catholic school. We went to Catholic church. I mean, I went to, from my first day of kindergarten until the day I graduated from high school is all Catholic education. And, um, you know, so there's not a lot of open mindedness about sexuality and things like that in Catholic school. At least there wasn't when I was growing up. And uh, so for me, it was kind of difficult to navigate a lot of the attitudes about uh, homosexuality and you know, and also just I've always been very open minded. I mean, I'm just and that really hasn't changed. I mean, even as a conservative, I still 
uh, I'm definitely very socially liberal and um, I'm not a prude and I'm not, I guess I can, I can understand and appreciate a lot of conservatives who are like, you know, do what you want in your bedroom or, or whoever's bedroom. Just, you know, don't talk to me about it. Okay. That's not, like, I, I don't mind sitting in a room full of people I just met and talking about sex and having a very open conversation and hearing about this person's, you know, what they like to do or what I like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not a prude that way, I guess. So, um, that's always, I, I've just always been very open and socially liberal. And so I didn't like being in an atmosphere where people I felt like were stuffy or judgmental or, um, you know, close minded about the more social, social issues and things. So I, I've got to ask the question because you, 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 you mentioned it and it's, it's something I guess a lot of people always ask, like heterosexual, you never even asked the question, when did you know you were heterosexual? You just know, you remember your first crush. Yeah. When you say that, you know, you knew early on you were gay. Is that, do you, do you remember your first crush in the same way? Or is it like, is it a childhood memory? Is it, is it a feeling that you remember feeling different or you just remember feeling how you felt and it was not what you saw as the, the, the norm around you? How does oh. that, what age was it? And how does that feel? What does that feel like? All of those things, literally all of those things. So um, I think, I think, so my personality, it's not really a surprise that I've turned out, that I do what I do, or that I've been, become kind of a public figure, very outspoken public figure, very, I guess, controversial for speaking my mind. And I've always been this way, always, since I was a kid. So as a kid, I was always very, um, uh, I don't want to use the word flamboyant in this particular conversation, but like, uh, I, I just always was very much about like doing my own thing and not caring what other people thought about it. And I was very, very expressive and very imaginative and very outgoing and very playful. And so I would say like around the time, I mean, when I was little, like three, four years old, I always gravitated towards identifying with like powerful female characters. So like I wanted to be Wonder Woman, you know, or I wanted to be whatever. Like when I would watch the Saturday morning cartoons and stuff, those were the characters I identified with. It didn't really occur to me or I, I, to me, there was sort of like, you know, a clear gender separation where I felt like I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't want to be the Hulk or, or Superman or something, you know, I wanted to be like Wonder Woman. And, um, and I always sort of wanted to, play with girls toys and gravitated towards that sort of thing. And then I started having sort of those like little kid romantic crush feelings like that, you know, some kids have when they're little, like five, six years old. I mean, not like in an overtly sexual way, obviously, but I remember one of my earliest memories is being, um, I, I would imagine I was around six and, um, I used to watch a show every Friday night called Friday Night Videos. It was on NBC. This was kind of like before MTV was mainstream. So, and plus we lived out in the country on a farm, so we didn't have cable television anyway. So the only way I could watch music videos was on Friday nights during late night for the show called Friday Night Videos, where they would show an hour and a half of music videos. And um, I remember being like six years old. And I think... Like, I feel embarrassed to say this now because I've gone back and I've watched some of the videos and I'm like, that can't, like, what was I, th that can't be true. But 
in my memory, I was watching a Tears for Fears video, and like I like I was crushing so hard on one of the singers for Tears for Fears. And then I remember sort of having this voice in my head say to me something like, oh, my God, you're gay. And I don't really even know how I knew what that meant, but I did. I mean, I knew that gay meant like boys who like boys. And I remember just like having this huge crush and being like, I think I'm that, that word. I think I'm gay. And then I also knew that it wasn't really something that I could talk about because uh, people didn't like that. So it, you know, that, that moment of realization probably set up a lot of my patterns in life that I still experience of feeling like, you know, I have to deal with things on my own or just handling situations without help because uh, I just remember thinking, I remember thinking to myself, it's fine that you are this way. Like there's not something that like, this isn't wrong or it's not bad, but just people don't like it. So keep it to yourself kind of thing. And now um, I'll, I'll ask when you came out to your parents, but was it a surprise Like for anybody who's had close family friends who are younger and you're, you're the, you're sort of older, you, you can see demeanor, you can see, preferences characteristics and you sort of know these things are coming well before well before the individual does themselves in some instances i don't when it comes to parents however they can either detect that early on or they can go into denial if it's not something that they think they would be comfortable with of their own children which side of that were your parents on and what was it like uh, if and when you came out to them you know, I would have to say that they definitely were in the denial camp. I mean, because even now today, like if you ask my mom, she says she's like, we had no idea. And I'm like, that's whatever. I mean, <laughs> you would have to be like blind and deaf and dumb to not know that I was like obviously going to turn out to be a gay person. And this is why I just, you know, I so outright reject anybody who who thinks that, you know, people choose to be gay or, I mean, maybe that makes sense if it's a person who doesn't really have a lot of overtly, you know, stereotypically gay characteristics or, you know, and they came out when they were like 25 or something. But I mean, I, all the signs were there from the moment I was like moving around and stuff. I, I mean, I, like I said, you know, I, I identified with the girls and not so much with the boys. I was very prissy. I didn't like to get dirty. I didn't like to fight. I didn't you know, want to play boy games. I wanted to play girl games. I had crushes on boys. I, uh, my, uh, there were even like a few, like a few gay people who were on TV. There was a, guy on Saturday Night Live named Terry Sweeney at the time. He was only on for one season in the mid-80s. But he was very, very, very flamboyantly gay. Like, extremely flamboyantly gay. It's actually remarkable that he was on TV at that time. But I remember I would I would just, like, gravitate towards all his gestures and stuff. I just, like, I'd never seen anybody behave that way. And for some, for some reason, I found it appealing at the time. And he would often go like this. Like, he would be like... Oh, oh, you know, like when he would talk and I kind of adopted that when I was a kid. And I remember my mom talking to me and being like, don't do that. Like, <laughs> you know, and um, kind of explaining to me why it was sort of off putting. And I was like, oh, OK, you know, and I, I think I tried to make an effort at that point to stop doing that. But like so, I, you know, it, 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 all the signs were there always. But um, um, first of all, someone had asked what I'm drinking. I, I I don't know why I decided to have kombucha tonight, but it's probably not a good idea um, in terms of caffeine. Did you tell them before or after you left for New York City? Uh, 
uh, before, and I was 19 years old. And, um, you know, I I don't know what the process would have been if it had, if I had really chosen to do it and because I didn't want to and I was really uncomfortable with it. But what happened was uh, my sister just told them. <laughs> and then uh, and then my parents asked me about it. And, and at the time, I was actually living with my sister. I I'd graduated from high school. I moved in with her as like her roommate before going to New York. And um, she really sheepishly came home from work one day. This was after she had told them. And then they asked me. And then she came home from work and she kind of like tiptoed into the apartment, like kind of like looked at me like, is it safe to come home? And I was like, it's fine. We're good. You know, but like what the hell happened? And ultimately what she told me was just that she felt like this was a weight on my shoulders. And she just felt like I don't, I did. She, I think she wanted to release that weight from me. And, uh, you know, I think she just felt like I did. I don't know when you would have ever done it. And so I just wanted to like do it for you. And it, it ended up, I'm glad she did. And so that's the way that, you know, she told them, they asked me, I said, yes, it's true. And, uh, they, you know, I think that they had their feelings, but they, it wasn't bad. And, um, you know, they just assured me that they still loved me and that, you know, it was okay. And that they supported me and it was, uh, but it took a while. I mean, I honestly, it took probably, it might've taken 10 years before, after that, before it got to the point where we actually really talked about it and that it really was not like an elephant in the room. It was like, that was kind of weird. Like they knew, but for a long time we, they knew, but we didn't talk about it. Well, I mean, let, let me ask the, uh, the, did you have girlfriend, did you have any girlfriends growing up that would have allowed them to maintain the denial or maintain their belief? No, no, not really. I mean, sometimes like for prom, I might like take a girl to the prom or, you know, to the homecoming dance or something, but it was like, it was never like a relationship or anything. And I did most of my best friends were girls. Um, but they dated other guys, but they dated guys. So and, and your, your friends knew, I mean, this, this is like the, the plot from easy a to some extent where your, your friends knew, and it was just something that your best friends knew not to tell your parents until you were ready. I'd say that's true, but it, it, it's, I didn't tell everyone. I mean, I only told like a couple of people when I was in high school that I was really close with and that were girls, uh, and they were really supportive and, um, and you know understanding and and just normal about it and um yeah they didn't talk to my parents about it okay this is this is context people and it's i mean it's 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 fascinating because it will explain i i presume to some extent your political leanings but then also it's going to add some color to your political uh rev evolution or revolution so you leave for new york city uh at this point your parents know you're out on your own in the big apple uh, and I mean, what must that have been like in the, in the early stages, say like you go there, you, you go from Nebraska to New York city. What's that change? Like, what was the life like? And what did you end up doing then? Oh my God. It was exhilarating. I mean, it was just, it was, uh, so I had no fear zero. Um, I mean, I was so ready to go and just like take that huge bite out of the apple and <clears throat> just, just live my best life. And so, I, uh, 
got on a plane with three boxes. Um, I stayed on a friend's couch for about a month and then uh, found my own place to live. God, it was such a magical time. I mean, and, and just different. I mean, New York was so different back then than it is today. But I found like I found an apartment in like the greatest neighborhood for I I was I had a roommate, but it was uh six fifty six hundred and fifty dollars a month. Um which of course, you know, is uh, obscenely uh, I mean that's unheard of at this point. And I was in the most amazing neighborhood and um I uh I got a job at a very trendy restaurant which still exists. It was a restaurant called uh, Cafeteria in Chelsea in New York. And uh, it's at the time, Cafeteria was only two or three years old, um, but it was such a huge celebrity hotspot. And I mean, despite its name, you know, especially where I grew up, people are like, you work at a cafeteria. I'm like, no, I don't work at a cafeteria. I was like, it's a really cool, trendy restaurant that they call Cafeteria. And um <clears throat> I mean, it was just like every night I was meeting movie stars and music stars. And it, I mean, it was just, you know, Mariah Carey and Alanis Morissette and Courtney Love and every movie star you can imagine. And it just and so I would go to work and I'd be meeting every celebrity you can imagine. And then I would get off work and I would go to the clubs and within, you know, two or three months, I would say of regularly going to clubs. I became really popular. And so, you know, I never had to wait in line. I knew all the door guys. I knew all the bartenders. I knew, and it was, you know, at least at that time, there was a different hot club for every night of the week. So, you know, Tuesdays, you always go here. Wednesdays, you always go here. Thursdays, you always, and I would go out every night of the week. And um, it, it, it was incredible. I mean, it was, it, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I know, you know, 20 year olds now who are like starting their own businesses and who are really, really focused and really, you know, future planning oriented and stuff. And I, that's awesome. And I think that's so great. <laughs> but I also in this way, don't regret that I had this time in my life where I was just a huge, like uh socialite and, um, you know, just like a nightlife I, I just like I, I was huge in the nightlife world in New York City for a while, and it was it was really fun. I hope you don't mind. I outed your age to the chat, and I don't think anyone appreciated <laughs> that you're you're three years old or two or three years older than me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I mean, now I, I presume this you're in this life. It's it's as liberal as liberal is going to get. Um, I mean, I guess if we if we're skipping over a big portion of your life, how did you end up getting into? I mean, when did you ever get political? And then, and then, what happened with the revelation where you broke away from what the 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 dogmatic politics uh, to which you'd been subscribing? Well, I think that my political um, involvement was very limited before twenty sixteen. So, really, the only things that I really cared about that much were gay rights issues, which were hot button wedge issues at that time. Uh, this was before marriage equality. This was before. I mean, and it's it's so remarkable how quickly the world changed i mean it almost like that i mean i can people often talk about homophobia today and they'll say like in the 80s in the 90s i'm like it wasn't that long ago you guys it really wasn't i mean there were definitely in 2012 2013 2014 i would 
you know, if you were even walking through New York City holding uh, your partner's hand, people would drive by you and roll down their window and scream the anti-gay F word at you or throw things at you. And like that was not that long ago. And so in those years in New York, I was sort of very much on the the front lines of, you know, fighting for gay rights and for respect and dignity. And, um, and I think that a lot of my political beliefs were influenced by the entertainment industry, by the political beliefs of singers and uh, movie stars and uh, TV, you know, talk show hosts that were liberal. I mean, that's, they all are, they're all liberal, but that, so if they believed it, I believed it. You know, I think it was just sort of the going along with the the left wing uh, entertainment industry talking points and gay rights. And then I didn't really care deeply about politics until 2016. Trump. Um, I, you know, I'm going to ask you this later on because the transition from you were involved with, you know, the, the pursuit for, for gay rights, uh, and I want to compare it to what is going on now with, you know, the videos that we see trending on Twitter and other people, other groups, you know, seemingly asking for rights. And it's not, and some people feel that it's not necessarily about their rights, but rather about a, some form of indoctrination. We'll get there because there's been a, a few videos that have been going viral on, on, the, on the Twitterverse. Um, so you're 2016, you're, you're pursuing gay rights, you, you know, not pursuing, but rather you're, you're involved in that. That's, that's the important aspect of your identity, political identity, personal identity at the time. So I presume to you at this point in time, Trump is literally uh, Mr. Schmittler uh, in terms of, uh, <laughs> in terms of bigotry, uh, intolerance and everything. You're at the point now where you looked at him and you literally saw a man with a mustache. Kind of. I mean, yeah, kind of. Well, but it's a there's a little bit more of, okay so like let's imagine a like a, a seesaw right like the like a little kid's seesaw so if the seesaw was like liberalism here and uh conservatism here and i was you know over here on this side trump aside i was already getting pushed to the center of that seesaw by other liberals because when the Supreme Court decided in 2015 that marriage equality was the law of the land, to me, I saw this as a moment of great victory for the LGBT community. And I also saw it as kind of a finish line for us in the United States, which is not to say that, you know, life is great for gay people around the globe. I mean, if anything, I think that that should have been the moment that the gay community in America began helping gay people around the world who are getting shoved off of buildings or taken away from their homes in the middle of the night. And then no one ever hears from them again. Uh, but what happened instead is that as soon as we got marriage equality, um, then all of a sudden all of these gender identities began springing up. And um, I started for the first time in my life hearing about things like non-binary gender fluid, gender queer, uh, people identifying as trans who i mean i'd always known transgender people people who were born male who transitioned into female or vice versa but i had never in my life seen like uh someone who's clearly a girl and probably clearly a lesbian 
but suddenly saying, oh, I'm neither male nor female. I'm both. I'm neither. I'm beyond. I'm, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And what I noticed, too, is that these people, not only were they new and kind of coming out of the woodwork out of nowhere, but they were really, really nasty. Um, you know, like all they ever talked about was victimhood and privilege and oppression and black uh, oppression and white privilege and gay male privilege. And they were so divisive and so nasty. And uh, and they very quickly became the voice of the LGBT community. I mean, it, it was like uh, within a year, suddenly gay men no one cared about gay men anymore like and no and if you were a gay man like get the hell out you know because your maleness seems to trump your gayness and who has time for you or your privilege and i just thought this is like i just said to you like i'm not kidding when i say even in new york city you know in 2013 2014 there were overt acts of violent homophobia that were still happening and now just like a year or two later I'm being told by these non-binary people that I'm a privileged gay man and to shut up. And so I was already feeling um, like something was really wrong uh, within the world of liberalism and within the world of the LGBT community. But I wasn't exactly sure what it meant or what it was or why it was happening or where it was coming from. Uh, So I I just wanted to kind of set the table with that because, yes, I was a Hillary supporter and yes, I eventually hated Donald Trump, but I was already feeling very pushed away by liberal people at this point. And when Donald Trump first announced that he was running, I wasn't scared at all. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a joke. And by the way, everyone did. Every liberal and everyone in the mainstream liberal media was not scared and not threatened. They thought it, everyone was laughing and everyone thought it was a joke. It was like, oh my God, you know, this buffoon from The Apprentice thinks he's going to run for president. It wasn't until he started gaming, gaining steam and got to the point where it was like, oh my God, Hillary Clinton might actually have a, a competitor. Like Hillary, like Hillary doesn't necessarily have this cinched in. That's when they decided to create the illusion of him being the second coming of Hitler. But me being an idiot um, and just believing everything that CNN says and Rachel Maddow and MSNBC and the Times and Huffington Post, et cetera, um, I fell for it just like every other person on the left fell for it. I mean, they, you know, they came up with this great plan. And and I always say, you know, they they sat down and asked themselves, how are we going to take this guy out? And the plan they came up with was to say, you know, what what triggers our base more than anything? Social injustice. We have to make him the most like second coming of Hitler, the most racist, the most bigoted, the most homophobic person who's ever run for president. And that's when they started going to his rallies and searching for little 15 second sound bites that they could spin out of context and say, oh, he called all Mexicans rapists or, oh, he wants to throw all Muslim people out of America or, you know, he hates black people. He hates gay people. And they just relentlessly started throwing these stories out and it wouldn't stop and it wouldn't stop. And it brainwashed their audience. It brainwashed me. I was all in for thinking Trump was a complete and total bigot and all of these terrible things. Now I'm going to ask you this question and it's not because I believe it. Um, and there's no, but to that it's, it is the, it's the, um, retort. It's the rebuttal to, uh, the debate. You know, people say, 
if you give uh, an inch, groups take a mile. So people say, well, if we 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 don't want to give anything back on gay rights, first of all, I'm, I I don't believe this. I'm totally. It's I it's not, I don't even care. It's I don't care. Not in an insensitive way. People's sexual orientation, everything. If they if it's theirs, it's theirs. It's it's none of my business actually. But people say, well, the movement for gay rights, why people oppose it so much is because they see it as the slippery slope fallacy that you're sort of describing now is, okay, well, once you get, once you, the the gay community gets uh, marriage rights, well, then it shifts to something else. And it's shifted into what we see now, which is, you know, the video of trans individuals seemingly uh, twerking in front of children who are giving them money. And the argument is the same, well, respect our rights. And then some people say, well, this is just the slippery slope to, to wherever you've lived it. And, and someone's going to say, well, okay, fine. You got your rights. Now you're gay. Gay marriage is recognized. We want trans rights recognized, which is the right to transition as a very young age, because that to us is as important and meaningful as gay rights is gay marriages to gay people. How, how, how do you reconcile that? Where do you draw the distinction between what you pursued as equal rights versus what is now the 2.0 of what other groups are either co-opting or pushing for as their equal rights. Well, it's that's such a great question, and I so, I mean, on the one hand, I am so disenchanted at this point with what you know the the modern LGBTQIA plus whatever community uh, is and what they're pushing for, and I don't identify with these people in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so it, it it's sad and disheartening that they basically made true i mean because back when conservatives used to say you know like oh we can't allow gay marriage because if we allow gay marriage then the next thing you know they're coming from your children and then people are going to want to marry a goat you know and you're we were just like these people are so stupid these people are so deranged but it's like that's kind of what these people are doing in a way and um (sighs) I mean, all I can say is that I don't believe that the people who now have the microphone in the LGBT community are really LGBT. I mean, I I think that like I didn't know even as a gay liberal back in 2005, 2010, 2000, I didn't know anybody who wanted to. And I mean, all of my friends were gay. All of my friends were you know, and like I said, I was very popular. I mean, I had lots and lots of friends and uh, none of them wanted to have some sort of agenda to uh, educate children about uh, sexuality and homosexuality. And uh, I, I mean, we didn't really think or talk about kids and we didn't talk about a uh, gender spectrum. Uh, no one talked about that. That was not a thing that was discussed within the LGBT or the gay community. Um, and so what I, uh, I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, well, it's like, I don't, th- what I think is that these people, I, I just like black lives matter is a Marxist movement that has co-opted the black community and, kind of taken this microphone and been like this we represent all black people and this is what we demand on behalf of all black people that's kind of what has happened within the lgbt community as well like i don't know who these people are and i don't know who sent them but i know that what they want is completely contrary to what any lgbt person i ever used to know ever 
wanted, which was just like the right to get married or, you know, the right to be able to know that you could go work at a job and your employer can be like, I'm firing you because you're gay. Um, so I don't know like where this is coming from, but I think it's again, just sort of like another branch of Marxism or communism, uh, whatever you want to call it that has infected, that is using the LGBT community as a Trojan horse. And in terms of like their focus on kids, it's really disturbing. I mean, it's there. You can't justify that it's bigotry or oppression for us, any of us, you, me, anyone to push back against wanting to allow prepubescent kids to transition. And especially in ways that have permanent medical um, results. I mean, if you're putting kids on puberty blockers or encouraging 12, 13, 14, 15 year old girls to have double mastectomies. Uh, that just gives me a chill to even think about. Like, th this is really sick Frankenstein kind of stuff. And it's has nothing to do with being lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. What, what I found particularly, uh, I, I'm, I'm learning things as I go along as well. And I, I learned a new term covering a story this week called a turf, which was um, a tr uh, trans exclusionary. Radical feminist. Radical feminist, which was uh, uh, lesbians who, lesbians being lesbians, are attracted to the female uh, the female body, the female genitalia. Can never say that word without thinking of John Lejoie genitalia. Who are <laughs> who are attracted to other women? That's what that's by definition what it is, and what it means are being shamed uh, from certain stories within the community because they don't want to engage in lesbian activity with biological males who trans or who consider themselves trans women and they're called turfs and i, I, I and it's as though now you know the, the trojan horses you describe it it goes it, it pivots from you know equal rights for gays and lesbians to actually no longer respecting the the very essence of those rights that gays and that the gay community the lesbian community fought for which is to be gay without harassment and now you've gone into this other realm of it where now if you're gay or lesbian and you, by virtue of your own persuasion for which you fought equal rights for, for decades, um, if you don't want to now do this with a trans other, you are now the bigot within the community. I, I don't know how to make sense of it, but a, as a member of the community, what do what do most people think, uh, Brandon? Like, are most people saying this is this is fine or are most people saying this is fine, but the building is burning, uh, burning down behind them? Well, you know, unfortunately, because I do what I do and I've been so outspoken in the past about my support for Donald Trump and my walk away from the Democratic Party and I gay, the gay community doesn't have much to do with me. I don't get to talk to these people often um, other than gay people who have already walked away or LGBT people who've walked away. And then we are mostly pretty like-minded about this kind of stuff but for people who are still kind of like sticking with <laughs> sticking with the the community or whatever I, I don't know exactly what they think or if they're becoming uncomfortable enough that they're like this is really kind of not what i signed up for um but uh yeah i mean i just i, I think that I, I to me it just it does not really bear any resemblance to anything that has anything I, I mean I just saw an ad today that Nike put out and it was about you know being inclusive to again it, it's like the LGBTIAQ 
2S+. And I'm like, first of all, that's way too many letters, numbers, and symbols for any group. That's just absurd. But it was like this really bizarre collection of people. I mean, none of them were like people like me. Like, just someone who looks like this and is like, okay, I'm gay. I mean, they all, like, had purple and green hair and were going out of their way to be as odd as possible and and saying how the, the one was i couldn't even tell how old this person was it he seemed i thought he was a boy but he was an extremely effeminate boy and i don't know if he was like a little kid but he seemed like a little kid i don't know and he was wearing fingernails this long and makeup and and he said that he was teaching vogue classes to little kids to make the, I, and i'm just like what what is this like this is just so weird it's so weird and like when I used to go out all the time clubbing or go to gay bars and so I mean they they used to be filled with beautiful men who were men who would go to the gym and build muscles to make themselves look like men and and now it's just like these guys with like five inch long eyelashes and a face full of makeup and these horrible fingernails and they're like ah I'm just like what. Who are these awful people, and how did this happen? <laughs> well, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm gonna. I know an argument that people are out there thinking right now is they're saying you, your perception of this new movement is exactly what the old, you know, stuffy white folk were thinking about the gay movement ten years ago. So you're just not with it anymore. Where, where is? I mean, at some point, everyone has to draw a line and say, what is, um, within the realm of the spectrum of human behavior that should either be normalized or should be promoted or should be uh, respected, but not necessarily glorified as we see it happening right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess people are looking at you. Okay. You got your rights. You're a gay man. You got your rights. Now you're the stuffy old white person who doesn't, who wants to deny this to other people. Mm -mm. Uh, what's, what's your retort, Brandon? Here's my response to that. Look, I am a biological man who is attracted to, other biological men that makes me gay and lesbians are what they are and transgender people are what they are. That's, that's fine. What these new people in this community are fighting for is that they are demanding to be respected and tolerated and basically compel other people to uh, celebrate their expression of what they want to be. And that's not the same thing. So yes, I, 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 I totally like my, my pursuit of wanting uh, to be respected and wanting to have equal rights. I saw somebody in the comments earlier say, well, there's a difference between having equal rights and being respected for the record. I don't disagree. I don't believe you can legislate respect. I don't believe that you can force other people to respect you. And that has never been my goal, but I think that you can earn people's respect by having conversations with them, by trying to, I think kind of illuminate for people, what you really are that might put fears to rest that they have, you know, cause I think at the end of the day, people are like, I don't, you know, I don't really understand who you are or what you want. And that makes me uncomfortable. And that makes me uncomfortable about what you want to do to our society. I, I get it. So when I talk about trying to make people respect you, I just mean through having conversations and through, you know, opening people's minds, hopefully through that kind of dialogue. But that is different than saying, um, you know, 
putting on uh, a, a face full of you know bizarre and unusual looking makeup, um, shaving half your head and making your hair purple or green or whatever, and then also saying I'm neither male nor female. I am one of 87 different gender identities on the spectrum. And because I'm one of these different gender identities, I have special words and pronouns that you have to refer to me by. And if you don't refer to me by these words, it's because you're a bigot. No. And for the record, I'm not opposed other than the little kid stuff, which I like, I'm totally opposed to that. But I mean, if you're a grown adult and you want to have, you know, gr- green or purple hair and wear makeup if you're a boy or whatever. Like, I don't care. That's by the way. And it's not new, by the way. I mean, when I was growing up, Boy George was like a huge hit. Uh, Billy Idol, all of those 80s hair bands where the guys had a whole hair, face full of makeup and long blown out hair and like Twist, Twisted Sister. I just watched that video. I never I never realized it until now. Nobody cares. Like, I don't care. No one cares. What I think where people draw the line and they get upset and they start caring is when you have this expression and you basically say that this is like a medical condition and that because it's a you know, it's a medical condition you know, rooted in science and that science and biology will will back up the fact that, you know, you're neither male nor female and that because there's a, a biological standard here. People have to use special language and words in your presence to make you feel like for, forget it, forget it, because this is completely contrary to science, science, biology and common sense. And if you want to express yourself, however you want to express yourself, I respect you. I, I like I, nobody should make you feel bad and nobody should cut you down. And I, I got your back on all that. But don't compel my speech and don't compel my politics to facilitate what you need to to i guess apparently feel respected and i think that for a lot of these people what they need to feel respected is to force other people into an acceptance that people don't want and that has nothing to do with being lgbt and and i think you you might have actually you know actually like hit the nail specifically on the head which is when it came to certain rights are you know leave me be respect my decisions to to act in the way that i want to act uh don't persecute me for it don't 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 assault me don't call me respect the way i want to act with myself with others who want to act that way with me versus now you have to transform your reality to reflect what i perceive to be my reality even if it means denying what what most people consider to be the basic tenets of science and to compel others to change their behavior not just in terms of live and let live but rather change their active behavior in order to respond to what this what other individuals consider to be their in, in entitlement of a response from other people and so one is purely internal the other one is purely external in that it 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 seeks to govern other people's behavior as opposed to only request the respect of the individuals um and it's if i may it's it's not a two-way street by the way either so le- like let's be really clear about that because i'm a gay man who like it or not, and I don't like it, belongs to this community. And now this community wants to insist that people like me be called queer. I have expressed numerous times over the last 
several years to people who do that to not do that to me. I, I don't want to be called queer. I don't feel good about the word queer. It embarrasses me. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It does not make me feel dignified. It doesn't make me feel grown. It doesn't make me feel like a respectable human being. I think it's degrading, disgusting, and demeaning. And when I tell people that, they basically tell me to go F myself uh, because they're like, well, it's your problem if you don't like you know this word, but this is the word that are so that so don't tell me that I have to use these special words to make you feel respected and acknowledged and lifted up when you spit in my face when I tell you that I don't want to be called queer. You demand that I have to be called queer. I can't tell you that you you know I you need to be called she and her because you're obviously a woman. You're obviously a woman. Or that you need to be called he or him because you're obviously a man. Like that is offensive and, and out of bounds for these people. But for me to say, don't call me queer, their response is go screw yourself. So it's not a two-way street of respect. And that's why these people, we can't dignify this. I will not dignify this. Well, you're, you're one step, uh, you have one more defense than uh, you know someone who's not gay in that someone who's not gay and white and male says, I don't. I don't accept this absolute bigotry because on the on the victimhood, what what Gad Sad would call in the victimhood Olympics, uh, you know they're they're higher up on on that on that oppression totem pole. The um, hierarchy, yeah. Yeah, you. you uh, I say at least you say. Well, I'm not. I, I can't be a bigot. I'm gay. Like I can't be an anti semite. Although I, I guess I could be. But um, so now th- I think we've we've actually gotten right into the. I think the perfect point. I know your your not breaking point, but your turning point. I suspect might the chat might not know when did you say, "Holy crap, I have been not living a lie, but rather I have been, uh, I have been uh, on a team politically speaking that I didn't know were filled with people that I no longer want to be associated with." <laughs> when did that happen, and how? Well, okay, so um, okay, so I'm going to tell this story real quick. I told it. Uh, I was on the. Uh, t- uh, Tucker Carlson today, uh, which is his hour long Fox Nation show. So for anybody who's watching and wants to, you know, learn a little bit more too, you can go to Fox Nation and watch. Uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago and the episode is called Walking Away from the Left. But I shared this story with Tucker and I'll share it with your audience too. Um, so before I'd actually had my political transition, one of the final nails in the coffin for me with the left was when all of these uh, gender, well, the Huffington Post had a um, like a subsect that they called Huffington Pe- Post Gay Voices. And then they announced, I believe in 2016, that they were going to change the name of that to Huffington Post Queer Voices. And they even said, like, we understand that some people in the community might not like or embrace this change, but we find it to be very progressive and we find it to be very inclusive. And I expressed in the comments on Facebook on the Huffington Post Gay Voices, now Queer Voices page, that all the reasons that I found it demeaning and disgusting and degrading and that, you know, for people of a certain age or geographical location, this was a word that we associated with bullying and violence and and a lot of other things. And all of these non-binary and gender fluid and queer people banded together and started like First of all, they started just coming after me and telling me that I was a privileged gay man. And of course, I, you know, I was using my gay privilege to push back against the progress of the community. And then they all banded together and reported me to Facebook and got me suspended from Facebook for hate speech. 
So I got a message from Facebook basically saying that because I was objecting to being called queer, I was uh, banned for 30 days for hate speech. I and- got let, me, let me just stop you there because someone's, someone noticed it too. So you went from fighting for your equal rights as a gay man to being to having now what they call gay privilege. I mean, it's it's like it's, that. It's, it's 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 absurdity. It's it's absurdity like that. And and now you're no longer a victim who had to fight for equal rights. You are now an oppressor because of the very victimhood or the the status that you sought for equal rights. Okay, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Well, yeah, and I'm an oppressor. Yeah, by the way, I'm an oppressor who ended up getting banned from Facebook for 30 days because all of the victims banded together and reported me. So, I mean, who, who has the power? Like, like who, who are we kidding here? I, you know, I mean, like when big tech is going to side with all of these people and not a gay person, just because the gay person says they don't want to be called queer. I mean, who really has the power? Let's like not kid ourselves. And so that was the moment when that I, I was stunned. Like I was stunned when I got that message from Facebook. And um, that was the day that I made a decision that I could no longer, I was like, I, I, I'm walking away. I, that wasn't a thing yet, but I was like, I'm walking away from this community. Like I'll always be gay. I'll be gay until the day I die, but I, I don't want to be a part of this community because it's, I don't recognize it. These are not, uh, my values and I don't understand what's wrong with these people or what they're doing, but they do not represent me. And so I'm done. And so I made a decision at that point that I, as sad as I was about it, I I wanted nothing more to do with the LGBT community. And, um, and then that takes us into the 2016 election. And I'm a huge Hillary fan, huge Hillary supporter. I was very I excited. How? I mean, it's, it's not, this is not political. <laughs> this is person. How is, I don't, I never understood it. What did you see in her at any point in time that you thought you liked? Well, I think that again, if you look back at what I said earlier about like m- me taking my political cues from Hollywood celebrities and uh, music stars and stuff, you know, people were very forgiving of Bill Clinton you know, and to the point where the media completely carried water for him during the Lewinsky scandal and a number of other things. And so he kind of came out of that whole situation as uh, uh, kind of a a targeted and beleaguered hero in a way. And she, Hillary, really, according to the left wing narrative, came out as, you know, very much this like downtrodden woman who you know was powerful and and effective but like you know being pushed around by men but she you know she's she's still stood her ground and you know i mean she became almost like a feminist hero in a way which is sort of ironic because her husband cheated on her and like she ended up looking like a real fool but i think so that's where the narrative i think sort of began but then you know remember she she came to my state and became a senator. And so n- liberal idiots in New York thought she was amazing. I remember she marched in the gay pride parade in uh, 20, I don't know, 14 or 15 or something, which was a joke because she <laughs> she was so openly against gay marriage and gay rights just years before that. But then she was like, oh, the tide is turning, so I'll change my mind. 
And um, I think that I just really bought into the left wing narrative of her being the most prepared candidate of her being the perfect and ideal first woman president. Um, and uh, when you when you're not in a position where you see what CNN is doing and what MSNBC is doing, when you don't see it, that it's very easy for you for them to kind of hypnotize you with their narratives about crap. And they did. I mean. It's very hypnotic. I mean, it's the same way they it's the same hypnosis that they used on all of us about Trump. And I bought into that, too. So I think that I just saw her as this like, uh, you know, iron willed woman with uh, a lion's heart who wanted to do good for her country. And she had gotten a raw deal so many times with the men in her life. But she persevered through that. And, you know, how glorious it is to do that. She powered through it, Brandon. <laughs> powered through it, yeah. Um, and so when did, when did that, um, I'll call it idolatry for lack of a better word, when did that get shattered? Mm. Well, God, let me think about that. Because I think I came around, all right, let me think, let me think. Well, okay, so I voted for Hillary in 2016. I was shocked and crushed and devastated when Trump got elected. And um, that sent me on a journey to try to I wanted to understand why and how he got elected. I wanted to understand how the media that I trusted had got it so wrong and I wanted to understand um why anyone would vote for this guy. And so I was really upset and I was posting constantly on social media my outrage especially towards people who I grew up with that I knew they had all voted for Trump. And in January of 2017, I posted that I would never be on Facebook, that I would never be able to understand how anyone could vote for a man who was capable of standing before a cheering crowd and mocking a reporter's disability. And that was when uh, a woman named Diane, who was my childhood babysitter and a staunch Christian conservative, reached out to me privately and sent me a link to a YouTube video entitled Debunking the Trump Mock the Disabled Reporter. And... um when I saw just the title of the video and she just said, you know, she was like, I just, I just want to know if you've seen this, you know, I'm not trying to start a fight with you. I'm not trying to start an argument. And, um, just the title of the video enraged me because I thought to myself, Oh, this is going to be more like right wing brainwashing Fox news propaganda. And then I actually watched the video and I, it's like I almost sort of dissociated from my body because basically what the video was is a compilation of footage of Donald Trump throughout the years and numerous circumstances doing that exact same voice and that exact same gesture as he did that day when he was at his rally imitating that reporter. And what it showed so clearly was that this is a bit that Donald Trump has done um, for a long time. Anytime he's imitating anybody who's flailing because they're caught in a lie or doing something shady or dishonest. And so for anyone who doesn't remember on that day at his rally, and I think it was 2015 or 2016, um, there was a Washington post reporter who had gotten caught. He was caught in a lie. Basically it had something to do with reporting on nine 11 and that there were people um, like in Staten Island or something, uh, Muslim people who cheered when the towers fell and Trump said that that had happened and that's, the, you know, this reporter, I think, had put out a narrative that Trump was a, you know, an anti-Muslim bigot for telling this lie. Well, then somehow it was discovered that this reporter did, in fact, report on the fact that that had happened in the past. They discovered that. 
And so the, the, the reporter was trying to backtrack. And when Trump was recounting that story to his audience, he started imitating this reporter flailing and going, oh, I don't know what I said. Uh, I don't remember. And he kind of went like that. Well, CNN, while he was doing the flailing thing, froze the image of him, you know, going like froze it like this. And as it turns out, that reporter has a short arm. Like, I, th- like I, think, I think I think the reporter had cerebral. I think it was cerebral palsy. I'm not. I'm not a thousand percent certain, but I don't even think it was that honestly, because there, I, there's literally no disability that this reporter seems to have, other than the fact that his arm is short. I mean, he's not cognitively impaired. Well, that, not- the, the the chat will let us know because that was my thing. I didn't even know that the reporter at the time had any disability, whatever, what, or any. I don't know what the, what the word that's not going to get me in trouble is. I didn't know the reporter had any disability whatsoever. Uh, until, until the, yeah, you know, so people are saying cerebral palsy. That's what I thought it was. Um, I didn't know that the reporter even had it when, when this issue came out and th- they linked the two things together. I saw the exact same video that you saw the montage. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, please go on. Oh yeah. So I, sorry, I was reading the comments like, <laughs> oh, um, don't, <laughs> I wouldn't read all of them, Brandon. <laughs> oh, I'm trust me. No one could say anything to hurt me a- after what I've gone through. Like there's so uh, I'm good. But um, uh, sorry, one sec. Let me shift around a little bit. There we go. Um, so it was a compilation of footage showing that Donald Trump has done this voice and gesture numerous times throughout the years when he's imitating anybody who's flailing because they're caught in a lie or doing something dishonest. And when I saw it, I I remember like my heart racing and th- feeling almost like lightheaded, like I was dissociating because it was so obvious, so obvious that he was not making fun of that reporter's disability. But it sort of created a new conundrum for me because I was like, okay, well, if he wasn't report, if he wasn't uh, mocking that reporter's disability, why did CNN tell me that he did? Why would why would they do that? And um, so that's where this all started for me. And then I kind of went on this journey of research to try to understand, like, did CNN lie or and and if they did, why and how often is this happening and what is the the end game? And so as I went on this journey of research, I started becoming um, sort of ostracized by fellow liberals and friends because I was asking questions and bringing and sending people links and saying, have you seen this and what do you make of this? And I really went back to the beginning, too, of his campaign and went back to, you know, did he really call all Mexicans rapists? Did he really, uh, you know, defend, is the Muslim defend, defend Yahtzees at Charlottetown or whatever? Well, no, that hadn't happened yet. That yeah. had not happened yet. So that was like the first incident that I actually got to experience in real time after I had already, I had walked away by that point. But um, I went back and I watched all of these moments in their proper context. And I watched his whole speeches and I, rather than just those little isolated sound bites that CNN was putting out. And then I started to see that they were lying constantly, constantly lying, saying that, you know, he had engaged in some form of racism or bigotry, but it was never true. It was, and it, it was blowing my mind. And I was just like, why are they doing this? Like, what the hell is going on? And then I started to realize, oh my God, this is like a huge mass manipulation, isn't it? Like all of this time, that I believed that Trump was, you know, they were saying that he was going to reverse gay marriage and roll gay rights back and that gay people were going to get arrested and taken to prisons and all of this stuff. And, you know, I was just falling for all of it, but I'm like, this is a huge mass manipulation. And the, 
the purpose of the mass manipulation is to emotionally control me so that they can control my thinking so that they can control how I vote. And then I became enraged when I real I, I mean, like enraged it, because I saw it too. It wasn't just gay people. It was black people, brown people. It was women. It was, I mean, anyone that they can control our thinking through lying to us about the news and through this filter of oppression and constantly stoking fear. Um, it, it just enraged me. And so I made the decision and then I saw it being echoed too. I mean, it was not just the media. It was being echoed by the Democrats, by the members of Congress, by Democrat politicians all across the spectrum. And it was being echoed by Hollywood and it was being echoed by everyone. And I started seeing how people weren't, they were just repeating these lies and not people weren't watching full speeches. They weren't taking moments in proper context. They were just, just repeating misinformation, repeating fear mongering and spreading all of this and getting black people and brown people and LGBT people upset, making us feel scared and divided. And so that's when I decided I, I had to walk away from the democratic party. I had to walk away from the liberal media I had to walk away from the ideology of liberalism because I was now starting to understand how this was all connected to what I was these non-binary people and these gender radicals that had infiltrated the gay community. I started to see the ways that th these race radicals that infiltrated race communities who are saying talking about white privilege and white fragility and you know their hatred of white people i all of it was starting to make sense it was all just clicking and all the the pieces of the puzzle were suddenly coming into place and i was like i get it now i get it i get it and then after i started to get it that's when i realized why people liked trump i was like because i felt like paul revere i mean honestly i was just like i felt i felt like christopher columbus like i had discovered something that no one else knew and i was like oh my god i'm gonna come riding in on my horse and like <laughs> sh shout to the masses about uh, they're lying to us they're lying to us and i like honestly i just i didn't it's like i mean i I wasn't, it wasn't even like an ego thing. I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm so smart. I mean, I literally was just like, oh, I've got to tell everyone this thing that I discovered that no one else knows. And then as I started like, you know, shouting from the rooftops, you know, conservative people were like, uh, duh, like that's what, you know, we've known this for like a hundred years. And also, why do you think we love Trump so much? And then all of a sudden I started looking at Trump in a new way. And that's when I fell in love with Trump. I was like, oh, my God, I get it now. I get everything now. And then that's when I came around to Trump. Yeah, you you you, you saw yourself as Christopher Columbus while everyone else saw, <laughs> saw themselves as uh, McLean from, from Die Hard. Like, welcome to the party. I, the way you <laughs> describe it, I just visualize Neo out of the Matrix, you know, seeing it from the outside for the first time. This is when I, you know, my revelation was not as much of a political one as it was just the, the media lying incessantly and the, the 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 weaponizing of the political process the prosecutorial process everything now i can't you, you can't unsee it and you you can't understand how people don't see it um so you you then you you walk away when do you start the actual walk away i remember walk away happening i remember the the controversy around it i i, I and i had no idea you know that that it was you you were it at the time how did you start it? What happened? And then I guess this is going to bring us into um, you getting arrested on January 6th. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, somebody in the comments, I just lost it, said, please stop saying black and gay together. I saw so, that one, to, I saw that one so, too, but I... <laughs> To that, I want to say black and gay, black and gay, black and gay, black and gay. This is this is one thing that I, I, I will say in the chat as well. Whatever side of the political spectrum, telling people what they can and cannot say is not a, an appropriate thing on either end. So someone saying, call me this, call me that is no different than saying, don't talk about this, don't talk about that. You're trying to govern someone else's behavior. You do you and we'll do, you know, Brandon will do Brandon and Viva will do Viva. Well, uh, I have to assume I have to assume that person said that because they're like, there's a difference between a, being a black person, being a gay person. And it's like they don't even understand the irony of that's like literally the exact same thing that the left does is like they're just creating that. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a black person, but there's something wrong with being a gay person. You know, it's like you're just arranging the same hierarchy. It's like literally the exact same mentality. So it's like hilarious. But anyway, um, so. Okay, so I make this decision to walk away. And then, um, so at the time, this is 2017, like going into summertime. So it's probably around March, April of 2017. And no one knew who I was. I wasn't a public figure. I was just literally just a normal person who was having this incredibly earth-shaking awakening in my life. Black and gay, black and gay, black and gay. Um, <laughs> and um, and so <laughs> I... Uh, I I started losing all of my friends um, because I, I again it's just it's this goes back to the beginning of this conversation. It's always been my personality type to um, I don't like people pushing me around. Black and gay, black and gay, black and gay. Um, I don't like I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like people pushing me around. I don't like so like when I started asking questions and getting all this pushback from liberal friends, it kind of emboldened me more. To want to be like, well, screw you guys. Like, I like who are you? Who are you guys to tell me what I can and cannot think? And so the more I was getting that pushback, the more I started just openly posting things. And it it really was just kind of starting out as like questions, saying, like, was the Muslim ban really a ban? Like, is there really a wage gap? Like, because you know, like, let's break it down. Let's talk about like the the various factors that aren't being considered when there's this left wing narrative that there's this uh, you know wage gap that it's uh, women are being oppressed and you know just stuff like that. And I, I literally lost about ninety percent of my friends in 2017, and they were very nasty about it too. A lot of them, not all, but some of them just unfriended me. But some of them wrote to me uh, these very scathing, nasty comments saying that, you know, obviously I had joined a cult or lost my mind, that I was going crazy. Um, they, I, don't, they don't see the projection and all. They don't see that what they're accusing you of is essentially true of themselves. I'm sorry. I had to no, it's OK. They're so entitled. And, um, you know, I'm. As we sit here today, I'm seven and a half years sober. We didn't really get into the part of my story where I became a cokehead and uh, like a raging like alcoholic. But um, I did get sober in 2015. So I'm now seven and a half years sober. And my sobriety is something that's really important to me. Uh, and so a lot of them too started being like, oh, I guess you fell off the wagon. I guess you started doing drugs again. I guess you started drinking again. And That's I'm like, extremely, extremely insulting. Actually, It's, it's extremely insulting. And it's, I'll tell you something. I mean, it's, the part about it that's most bothersome is not necessarily even having somebody throw your sobriety in your face like that in such a nasty and weaponized way. But it's the fact that none of these people, none, none of these people 
even bothered to call me on the phone and just say, hey, why don't you walk me through what what's going on? Like, what? why did you change your mind? Why, why is this happening? Like, wouldn't you at least just be curious? And this is the part that drives me crazy. And it'll always drive me crazy. Like, if I had a friend on either side of the political aisle, if I today, if I had a friend who was liberal or diehard conservative, and either one of them started literally becoming a Nazi, like if they started literally posting like swastikas and Heil Hitler and things like that, I would still call them on the phone and just be like, hey, can you kind of walk me through why you've ended up in this place? What's going on? Like, well, Red, I, I might take it the other way. I might slowly back away from them, but I certainly would not. If I saw someone literally becoming what I thought would be a Nazi, I wouldn't antagonize them and do something like <laughs> rub some rub some of their history in their face and say, hey, uh, I mean, I might just casually and discreetly you know, go somewhere else. But uh, no, but I, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. No, like, I would be super curious. I would be so curious. Like I would, it, that doesn't mean that I would be open to embracing this change, but like, my sense of curiosity would not allow me to, to wouldn't to not try to understand it. I mean, just the same way I wanted to understand how anyone could vote for Trump. I wanted to understand why people liked him. I wanted to understand, like, I, I guess I'm just a curious person, and that's what opened my mind and allowed me to change my mind. But like, I so these people who are just like throwing me under the bus and being like, "Oh, well, obviously you're you're like on drugs again and whatever," and I'm like, "You don't even know why I changed my mind or why I'm saying any of this stuff. It's crazy." But I kind of developed a little bit of like an anxiety disorder because every time I would say something political that this would happen and i got to, i wasn't going to back down and i wasn't going to stop saying it but um i knew that every time i would say it it would have some sort of backlash attached to it so i made this decision in early 2018 it was around april of 2018 i just said you know what i'm going to do i'm just going to make a video where i basically just say everything that I believe that like what like why I no longer want to be a liberal, why I no longer trust the liberal media, why I no longer trust the Democrats. I'm just going to like lay it all out there. And that's then I'm going to the video. That's the video that was pinned on your Twitter feed. Yeah. yeah. Where, where you, ha you had long hair, right? Longer hair long than hair. I have now. Yeah. It, it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was it was the pin. It was a six minute video with some dramatic yes. music in the back. OK, because uh -huh. I saw that. I noticed it was a newly pinned uh, uh, video on your on your Twitter feed. Yeah. But I thought it had to be an older video. It is. It's, so I uh, so okay. Around April, I decided that I wanted to put something together and say this and put it out. And um, I was out jogging one day, and the script for that video kind of just downloaded itself into my brain. And I ran home really excited, and I wrote it out. And then I read it to a, a friend of mine, and he was like, "That's amazing! That's amazing!" And he was like, "You like you have to put this out." And you know, so I got a camera and set it up and i recorded myself saying this script that i had written and then i spent about two weeks editing the video um and by that i mean i added music and i i added headlines uh clips of headlines that sort of supported everything that i was saying and a little bit of video footage that supported the things that i was saying and I put the video together and I was like, this is, I just, I, I knew I was like, this is so good. Like, I just feel like this is so good. And I thought to myself, um, you know, I think that there's something bigger here than just like sticking it to my friends who are treating me like crap. I was like, I know that there has to be 
hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people who are feeling the same way I'm feeling, who are, you know, socially liberal, who who are against racism, who are against homophobia, who are against all these things, but they're just being pushed away by the uh, by the like dict- dictatorial sort of behavior of people on the modern left. And they're being kind of pushed at least to the center, maybe even the right by this kind of behavior that that I literally truly believe that liberalism has been co-opted and absorbed by the very characteristics it claims to fight against. It's liberals who are becoming anti-free speech, who are becoming bigoted, who are becoming racist, who are becoming um, who are judging people based off of their sexuality, who you know, and I don't want any part of it. So I put this video together and I created a Facebook group that I called the hashtag walk away campaign. And I I didn't have any media contacts. I didn't have any political contacts. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any following of any kind, but I just had this video and this idea. And so I created the Facebook group and I launched the video and I just said, you know, please share this. And if you feel the way that I feel, join my movement and create your own video telling your own story about why you're walking away from the left. And it just exploded. I mean, the video that I put out within within a month, it had gotten millions of views and it was just being shared and shared and shared. And the hashtag started going crazy and going crazy. And then people were joining the group and making videos. And then I caught I slowly caught the you know, I started doing AM radio interviews and then that turned into national radio interviews. And then people started doing written pieces about it. And then people in the world of politics started posting about it on Twitter and talking about it. And then six weeks after I put the video out, I got a call from the Tucker Carlson show that they wanted me to come on. And then that night I was on Tucker Carlson. And the next night I was on Laura Ingram. And the next day I was on Charles Payne. And the day after that, I was on Fox and Friends. And then the next day after that, I was on Judge Janine. And it was just like, boom, I was everywhere. And then walk away just became like this phenomenon. I mean, I, 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 I remember it. I just, I don't think I remember it with you. I just remember walk away and people were, I remember the hashtag walk away. Uh, so that's 2018. Yeah. Uh, what happens uh, with you? Uh, I guess we're going to have to skip some of this because we need to get to January 6th, but what happens now of your political social media presence from 2018 to the day of infamy now, uh, January 6th, 2020, Oh, it was only two years, actually. Okay. What, what happens between 2018 and 2020 with you, social media? You become now the, the – I, I don't want to say to slap on labels, but you become the gay man, conservative now, Trump supporter, so they get to brand you as being one of the – look, e- even these people can be racist Trump supporters. Is, is that sort of how the public brands you from 2018 going forward? Well, I guess so. But, I mean, it, at the time, things were – so for years – it was just everything was, in my opinion, mostly positive. I mean, so walk away was growing and growing and growing. Um, and s- people were very supportive of everything that I was doing. So um, I launched several organizations, the walk away foundation and the walk away campaign pack. And um, we, you know, I was able for over the course of years to raise a good deal of money at a grassroots level And so we started traveling the country in 2019 and 2020 doing these events like walkaway town halls, doing them for the black community, the Hispanic community, the LGBT community, black and gay, black and gay, black and gay. And like, 
you know, so we and then we started doing our own educational videos called the hard truth, um, which were like these little five minute videos kind of debunking liberal media lies and myths and stuff. And for anybody who maybe isn't totally familiar with Walkaway, uh, go to walkawaycampaign.com. Go to our website because you'll get to see uh, pictures and videos and really surf around. I mean, because it's unbelievable what we accomplished in just a couple of years i mean really truly phenomenal and um and then covid kind of shut the world down in 2020 got a little bit quieter and then that took us through to the election and we all know how the election went and we all know how the election was disputed and um i became one of the people traveling around the country doing rallies to encourage people to um to press their state legislatures for a forensic audit of the vote in these swing states. And then I got invited to go to D.C. on January 6th to speak at the Capitol after the president spoke at the Ellipse. And it felt like a great honor and opportunity to me. So I ultimately decided to go. And on January 6th, I sat there and listened to the president speak. And then I marched from the Ellipse to the Capitol, as was always supposed to be the plan. And as I was getting close to arriving at the Capitol, I started getting some text messages from people saying that they were at home watching on television and hearing that people were going inside the building. And so at that point, I started recording a video and um, and I basically shot one long continuous video um, as I walked onto the Capitol grounds and I, I was on the east side of the building, which is the opposite side of where all of the people like any footage that people have seen of people smashing windows or struggling with police officers that wasn't going on where i was that was on the west side of the building i was on the other side of the building entering and i'm shooting my video and as i approach the steps on the east side there's thousands of people around and uh there's a man on the steps hollering they've opened the doors they're letting us in we're going inside we're going inside and so I walked up to the top of the stairs, and what I saw when I got there was that there were two large doors on the east side of the Capitol that were completely open. And there was a crowd of hundreds of people at the top of the stairs. Some of them were trying to make their way in. Most people were just standing there filming. And I stood on the east side Capitol stairs for eight minutes and filmed a video um, until a man came out of the Capitol. After eight minutes, he came out got on a bullhorn and said, they've cleared Congress. Everyone left the building. He said, uh, move out, move out. And I immediately turned around and I told the people behind me, you know, move out, go this way. And then I left. I never went inside the building. I didn't the, get the within video, 35 feet of going inside of the building. Go ahead. I know, I, and I know from, from your interview on Timcast, you, you uploaded it after the fact. It wasn't a live stream to your Twitter no. feed. Started noticing some, you know, people commenting. You, you took it down. People can still find the video. I, I watched it before. Uh, I watched it today just to see what it, what it looked like. Yeah. It looked like what you were describing. A, a massive crowd. Uh, there were, there were a, a, like a beeping alarm going off in the background, but it's a massive crowd. There was no, there was no overt violence. I mean, I've seen more violence at a, at a, at a, at a hockey celebration for the Stanley uh -huh. Cup losing. There was, yep. there was no violence or destruction in that particular section. You film no. for eight minutes, camera up in the air. The crowd, you didn't go, you didn't breach the doors. You didn't go through the doors on the front. And there was some uh, disagreement or, well, we, we'll get, we'll get into that now. So the video, the video is what it is. It was effectively like people recording what was a protest, but uh, there was no destruction or violence at that particular location. I would not. Okay. So again, I'm on the East side, not the West side. And I like, 
people, I mean, we can all have a debate about this, I guess, but I would absolutely not classify what I witnessed as a riot. Um, were some of the people disorderly? Sure. Uh, sure. Um, but to me, a riot is, it's violent, it's intense, people are breaking stuff, people are struck. That was not going on where I was. And just to be clear, because I know we don't have like 100 years, but if people go to my website, brandonstrock.com, right on the homepage, uh, you'll find my video. It's under a section, I think it's called My Side of the Story. What You can see my video that I'm describing right now with your own eyes. Don't do it until this interview is over. Get through this interview first. But um, they can see that for themselves. So, And there's one other thing I want to address that you just said, because it's um, it, this doesn't come up very often, but it is kind of important. So even the judge in my case brought when I was being sentenced, basically brought up that like, I should have known that I shouldn't have been there where I was because there was beeping coming from the doors. So I want to address that because I've never really gotten a chance to say it. Okay. For anybody who has a cell phone, which I would think are is most people, we've all had this common experience where we're on the phone with somebody and that person's out walking around on the street and the smallest of noises sounds so incredibly loud when you're talking like if somebody honks their horn or if they walk into a store and it goes ding or something you're just like oh my god what you know and the person's like because it sounds so loud on a phone and that's really not that different if you're shooting a video too so yeah if you watch my video you're gonna hear like beep 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 that's not what it sounded like when we were there like I don't even remember hearing the beeping of the door when I was there. I remember hearing voices because I had people all around me talking, saying, you know, people were chanting USA, things like that. But when you watch the video, you'll be like, oh, that beeping is pretty loud. That is not what it sounded like when you were there. And I can only tell you that when um, when I was there, the energy did not feel crazy. Like, I'm not a lunatic. I'm not a crazy person. I'm not like, let's go cause some trouble. That's not who I am. And so, and also I'm the kind of person, like, I don't want to die. You know, I don't want to. So if I feel like something is getting out of hand or we're in a bad situation, I'm going to get the hell out of there. But that's just not what the energy felt like. And also it's people will, people will watch anything that has to do with January 6th and think of the worst parts of January 6th and tie that together. But you can't do that because I didn't see that. And I didn't know that. I mean, that's, I only knew what I knew. And what I knew at that time was that somebody said, people are going inside. And when I got there, the doors were open and some people were walking inside. And like, I, at the, I didn't, no one said to me, they're breaking windows and they're fighting with police officers and people. I didn't know any of that. So I just want to make that really, really clear. Um, but uh, I, I, and actually, now that you mentioned it, I, I didn't even think of that. That that high pitched beeping noise probably gets picked up by the mic a lot more than it gets picked up by human ears at the time. Exactly, if you can even hear it. Um, and by the way, you know, listening listening to you describe this and listening to what the government in the United States and and the prosecutorial system did with this, I, I'm I'm analogizing it uh, to exactly what happened with our Ottawa protests, where people were there. It's not clear at what point in time it became illegal to be there. And then as of the time the government says, as of now, it was you shouldn't have been there. They they have gone after certain people with the full force of everything. The kitchen sink is not even is not even enough to describe it. Um, but you're there. You shot an eight and a half minute video 
which from my account is, is in fact nothing more than someone documenting what's going on. This is an event. There's a crowd of people, historic, whatever, whatever it is. You know, I, I'm not even sure what, what, what would not make what you did journalism as opposed to instigating or inciting violence. Eight and a half minutes. People can go watch it after this. Yep. You then go home or you go to your hotel and you upload it thinking that, you know, this was an interesting event that people should see what happened. Yes. And so, yeah, a couple things about that, too. Number one, if I had had the foresight to get a press pass, I don't think any of this ever would have happened to me because I could have legitimately said I was there documenting an experience. But I didn't I didn't know that was what was going to happen. I was on my way to go speak at an event with a stage. And, it's you know, like I've done a million times over the last couple of years. And then suddenly when it shifted and it became, oh, people are going inside the building. I was like, I want to capture this. I want to, because the other thing too, is I know how the left-wing media is now after all of these years. So I know that no matter what happens, this is going to be portrayed badly. And it's a really good idea to capture as much footage as I can of the truth, because this is Trump supporters. So of course they're going to be like, Oh, Trump supporters tried to burn the Capitol to the ground. And like, I want to make sure I'm getting what's actually going on. And, um, so I went back to my hotel room and I uploaded my video to Twitter. And, you know, I said, like, this is what I witnessed today at the Capitol. And um, and then about an hour or so after that, I don't know, hour, two hours, I turned on my TV and I started to see this footage on the news of stuff that had happened on the west side of the building, like people breaking windows and struggling with police officers. And I was like, what is this? I, I, it just looked nothing like what I had experienced. And I, so I got really concerned really fast because I was like, wow, how bad did this get? And I couldn't figure it out either because I was like, did that happen where I was or was that on a different side or like what? So it, it became clear to me really quickly that I did not want to associate with this in any way because I didn't know how bad it got. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I just didn't get it. So I took my video down immediately and I took down all the tweets that I had put out that entire day. Because, you know, I had been tweeting all day long, you know, and being like, you know, we demand a fair election and we demand that, you know, and I'm like, OK, I, I don't know what the hell's going on. So I just took it all down. And then I I didn't think about it again. I mean, I felt really disappointed in everything that had happened that day, not just whatever this riot was. But I mean, the whole day, I mean, I, I came to D.C. thinking that there was going to be like some reveal of some kind about them not certifying the election so that we could have the audit that we because that was the whole thing people wanted a forensic audit of the vote so that if joe biden had most certainly won we could all feel at peace with that and then move forward with certification Absolutely. feeling even good if, about it it's not a question of undermining elections it's a it's a question of reinforcing them if if it is if it was the most secure in history and yada yada you want to jump on this you want to quell the 75 million americans who have doubt on this but it, Whole, whole separate discussion as to whether or not the very the very reason for refusing to do it is to exacerbate the distrust for you know divide and conquer purposes. No, know. that's so stupid. I'm sorry, but that's so stupid. Like that's yes, that's what the left tried to try. Oh, this threat on democracy and the day that democracy died and the day it's so dumb. It's ex literally exactly the opposite. You have 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump at minimum. I mean it. Might have been more, but we know for sure that 74 million people voted for him. And we also know that the vast majority of those people 
felt like something was wrong in this election. And honestly, it's unconscionable that that matter was never put to rest, because I can tell you that if the situation were reversed and it was tallied that uh, that Donald Trump got 81 million votes and that Joe Biden got 74 million votes and that the majority of the people who voted for Biden thought the election was stolen. I would demand that we have a forensic audit because I would first of all, I'd say, well, I want to prove that this that Trump is this popular and I want to prove that that we won. But also, I don't want to go into the next four years with this type of division and hatred with people feeling like the election was stolen and that this is going to get dragged out and it's going to be this huge. Like, I would absolutely demand on behalf of the other side that we settle this before moving forward. But that's not what they were doing. They were saying, that's because you, that's because you've walked away and you have a different perspective of how transparency works. But, Brandon, so I'm curious, what comments did you start getting that that. um What's the word that gave you the impetus that 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 you know basically made you decide to delete the posts? Did you notice not troll comments? Did you notice people saying, "Get this down, this is incriminating"? Or did you just say, I, I, "Now that I don't know what's going on, I want to pull this back and and make sure I'm not uh, going to be associated with something that was not what I what I witnessed." No, it was totally my decision, and my decision was only based on not wanting to. Uh, create misunderstanding about my intention or, or where I was, you know, because again, I didn't understand what I was seeing on television because I didn't witness it and I wasn't there. So, um, but no, I mean, I, I, there never in a million years did I think that I had done anything criminal and never in a million years did I think that anyone would think that I did anything criminal. So I was, I didn't take it down because I was like, Oh God, I don't want to get arrested or like that wasn't even in my mind. My, my biggest fear at the time was that people would think that I supported anyone who did do criminal things. Okay. That was it. No, and no. So you, you delete the video, you delete the tweets. My, my running philosophy with the internet is deleting. It makes it look more incriminating than just leaving it up and leave it up and explain as opposed to deleting it and looking guilty ish. Like you're trying to hide something. I understand your explanation. I do want to know if your deletion was ever held against you in the future, but remind me about that question. You delete it. When does the, F I mean, then you think that you think this is over. I'm just going about my life. What yes. happens next? Yeah. And, uh, 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 God, I forgot what you literally just said two seconds ago. Uh, the, said, uh, deleting it as in, as in uh, you know, covering up your um, looking more guilty or whether or not it was held against you in the future. No. Oh, oh, no, 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 it wasn't. No, that, luckily that was never held against me as like deleting evidence. or No, it, it wasn't. Thank goodness. But um, no. So I flew back home the next day. And um, so what happened is even though my my video was only on Twitter for like an hour or or two. Um, it had already been copied by Twitter trolls and those Twitter trolls kept reposting it and reposting it and tagging the FBI and tagging the FBI. And this went on for two and a half weeks and it was not getting better. It was getting worse. Um, you know, it's not like, cause I just thought like, oh, eventually they'll lose interest or it's, you know, they'll just tire themselves out, but it did. It was just like getting worse and worse. And um, so people started asking me, are you scared? And I was like, no, I was like, I, I started to feel like I probably would get visited and I would probably have to answer some questions. But I wasn't I was like, I didn't do anything. So, no, I'm not scared about it. And. Um, and so then two and a half weeks later on Monday, January 25th, 
uh, and a team of FBI agents in tactical gear came to my apartment at dawn and got me out of bed and uh, presented me with a search warrant and put me in handcuffs and said that they were taking me to jail and that I was facing multiple felony charges for what I had done on you January to, 6th. You need to stop right there for one second. Mm-hmm. Tactical gear cops show up at your house. FBI. Or your, yeah. FBI. Armed. Mm-hmm. In, in, in I want to say dress up. Armed in gear. Show up. Are you living in an apartment? A house? Uh, in an apartment. They show up at 6 in the morning? I'd say that's about right. And they knock on your door? They don't knock your door down they're pounding on my door and it it i i immediately knew it was them because who 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 knocks like that so i shot out of bed and i was like oh my god they're here this really is happening and i went running to my door because i felt like if i don't get there fast they're gonna break it down so i got there in time to be able to open the door and when i did there was a team of agents standing on the other side uh they came in, they presented me with a search warrant, and a group of them went in and started stripping my apartment of uh, my computer, my iPad, my phone, my hard drive, thumb drives, camera equipment, clothing, just taking these things and putting them into bags. And uh, the other one or two or three agents turned me around, put my cuffed my hands behind my back, told me I was going to jail and that I was facing multiple felonies for what I had done. I, I mean, I would, I, I would love to have seen this. I cannot imagine this. This is, this is straight out of, I mean, at least when they, when they arrested Tamara Lich in Canada, you know, they, they were polite about it. But I mean, it's the outcome is the same. This is like James O'Keefe-ish. When James O'Keefe described the pre-dawn raid on his apartment to get his cell phone over the stolen, a stolen diary, stolen whatever, they, sh- they cuff you. And when they say you're going to jail, I mean, is this like in the movies, like you're going to jail for a long time or are they smiling? Are they laughing? Are they, are they cordial? Or are they just like outright? I mean, it it couldn't be more intimidating, but is it just like, are they like, are you scared for your life? Um, I wasn't scared for my life, but I was definitely, uh, I, I knew this was really serious and I knew it was really bad. And I knew that, um, I knew I was in trouble and, you know, this was five days after Joe Biden became the president and this was um, five days, you know, the, the Democrats have now taken full control of the federal government and I'm Brandon Strzok, the walk away from the democratic party guy. And, um, and they're telling me that I'm facing multiple felonies in conjunction with January 6th. And in terms of their demeanor, um, I wouldn't, I would not uh, describe their demeanor as like hostile, or or threatening in that way but it was definitely a very no-nonsense attitude and i remember the lead agent who was talking to me the most saying um i I, he said to me i was facing felonies and i said felonies i said i didn't even commit any crimes and you didn't put your finger on another human being no no and he said he said oh i saw your video like i i i saw what you did oh they'll 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 find something i mean they would yeah, uh, they, they've been doing it in Canada too. I just want to actually address one thing. I pulled up a, a chat that said, you know, surprised you went back on Timcast. Um, I pulled it up by accident, but I, but I think Tim, Tim explained his initial reaction at the time. I, uh, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not getting into that drama between Brandon. I, di- I didn't even know you oh, guys. There's were no friends. drama. There's right. no drama. Okay, and, and Tim addressed it during the interview, so I don't, we don't need to, we don't need to go over that. But they come in. Oh yeah, they, they've had five, they've had two and a half weeks to go over the video you know, dissect it so they can, they can come up with any number, you know, find the crime. 
Show me the man, I'll find you the crime. And um, this is something you, you, you glossed over in the interview with Tim. This is where I've, I have my own neuroses. I know what I, what I pick up on. You, you were in jail for, you said, two and a half days? Yes. 23-hour yeah. lockdowns. 23 hour lockdown. Yeah. They, so they took me to jail. They put me in an orange jumpsuit. Um, they, uh, injected a needle into my arm and because they told me that as an inmate, I, I was forced to take a TB test. So, um, a complete stranger at the jail injected a substance into my arm. And, uh, it was a very, very dark and imposing process that I had to go through to before I was taken to my cell block and then they took me upstairs to a cell block um where they told me that I would be in 23 hour lockdown and um they told me I would not be seeing a judge that day because they picked me up in the middle of a blizzard so <laughs> they knew that the courts were closed and rather than wait until the courts were open again to come get me they came and got me during a blizzard when they knew I'd not be able to see a judge and um I was told I, I, I was just, I was so, um, I, I was panicked, you know, and I just said, well, will I be able to see a judge tomorrow? We don't know. We don't know if the courts will be open. I, and I just remember, well, can anyone guarantee me when I can see a judge? And they said, um, we don't know. They said, we don't know how bad, how long the weather will be bad. And even when the courts reopen, there'll be a backlog of cases. It could be next week before you get to see a judge. And they're telling me that I'm going into 23-hour lockdown Monday through Friday. And then they tell me that on Saturday and Sunday, you don't even get an hour. Like, you're literally just in your cell all day Saturday, all day Sunday into Monday. And then you'll get an hour out of your cell on Monday. And I'm, like, with no idea if I'm going to see a judge this week Next week, no clue. They take me up to my cell, shut the door, and it was two days before somebody came back and opened the door and um and and told me that I had a, a virt or they told me they told me I had an attorney phone call. And so I went down and I met my attorney on the phone who my team from the walkway organization had found for me. And um he told me that he had talked to the prosecutor and that they that he had arranged a virtual hearing with a judge for me that day and that there was uh, in all likelihood I would be released because he said the government is not going to fight for you to be detained. And um, so I ended up having a virtual hearing with a judge later that day. The judge did order my release. And then after midnight, the second night, I ended up getting out in the early morning of the Let third day. Just get back to the TB or whatever, whatever it was. Was it a syringe that went into your into your arm? Oh, yes. They he slid the syringe into the skin of my forearm and injected a substance that formed a bubble in my forearm. That that would have been the absolute end for me, I think. And I'm not uh -huh. I'm not a needle freak. I'm, I'm not afraid of needles. I give blood. I, I gave blood all the time before the world shut down. Um, in invading my body. I mean, did you not have a choice? Did you no choice? No choice. And Absolutely if you and no if you lash out and freak out, add another three felonies for assaulting a police officer. Hundred percent, or or yeah, or just uh, whatever disorderly conduct, or or you know being uncooperative, whatever the hell. And um, yeah, and you have to keep in mind too. This is like at the height of uh, uh, vaccine, um, the 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 debate about vaccine. You know, so it's like burned into everyone's mind. Like, don't inject me with something that I don't want. You know, this is like one of the most 
talked about things that are happening. And now suddenly I'm like in an orange jumpsuit in a jail with a complete stranger sticking a needle in my arm and injecting me with something. I, I to this day, I don't know what it was. That is, and people, look, I, I, you know, bottom line, Chad, if it's not, I don't care what it was. I don't care what it was. Saline. Someone inject, someone force it. Not for, that's, that, that's, that's okay. I, I didn't even know that that's, um, okay. Speechless. Yeah. In, so were you in a cell that, did you leave the cell at any point for the two days or are you in, in, no. a, in a, so I, it was, it was like an eight, you know, eight by eight or whatever. Concrete. It was made out of concrete bricks, like, uh, cinder blocks. Yeah. And, um, it had a metal door with a vertical window, like, you know, maybe like two inches across. Like, I remember you either had to like look with one eye or the other, but you couldn't see. And, and that was it. And um, there are so many things about that. I mean, I'm very claustrophobic anyway, so I forget it, but like this was in January, late January. So they had like, there were two squares on the wall. One was on like this wall and one was on this wall. And they were, it's hard to describe, but they, I wouldn't call them ducts because when you think of a duct, you think of like a grid pattern or something that air can like travel through. These were, uh, it was almost like a screen um, and, and a screen where just like teeny, teeny tiny little holes in it. And one of them for a while was like blasting out hot air. And then the other one, I guess, is like receiving the air and whatever. But I remember I'm already in a panic. You know, and I'm already freaking out. So I ripped my orange jumpsuit off and I was literally just standing in there with my, they give you a pair of brown underwear. So I'm standing in there with brown underwear and plastic sandals and a guard went walking by my cell. And I just said, I know this is probably a ridiculous question, but I was like, can, can you turn the heat off? And he was like, no, he was like, it's just, it's either on or it's off. And he was like, you know, these are the winter months. So it's off. And I mean, I'm telling you, like, you're just in there. Just, just, you're like, I can't even control the temperature of the air and it's too hot and I'm panicking, you know? And I'm just in there like, (sighs) I don't don't want, I don't want to see, I mean, I'll, we'll see it. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to say it. Someone says it's only two days. It's only two and a half days. I'm telling you, I'm not claustrophobic. I got stuck in an elevator. Two seconds, I'm 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 freaking out, and, and like not like uh, like breathe. Just you can't control your breathing. You start you start in. Invi- you're in this. You have no. It's it's torture. I mean, I don't care that it's only two and a half days or, or a little over two days. Yeah, that's out. That's okay. I'm sorry. Um, well, no, so, and, and that then, person. Listen, yeah, to that person. Um, yeah, no, nobody, have, said, nobody said it by the way, but I, I'm just saying, like, some people oh, might. Oh, oh, okay. Well, yeah, to anybody who might be thinking that, I guess I would say, like, yeah, you have the benefit of listening to the story in retrospect. I wasn't sitting there. If someone had said to me, You're going to get out of here in two and a half days, it would have been horrible, but I would have been like, Okay, it's just two and a half days. It's just two and a half days. That was not the situation. They were telling me that it could be more than a week before I even have an opportunity to see a judge and that I'm going to be in this room, in this heat, in this situation for 23 hours a day. And that if I, if my ability to see a judge is next week, I'm going to, I'll get let out one hour on Friday, who knows, maybe 2 PM at Friday. And then it's going to be 2 PM Monday before I get out again. So I have to go through all night, Friday, all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday, and then into Monday before I'm out for one hour again. And that there's no guarantee that this judge is going to release me. Like I'm just sitting here waiting to find out if I'm going to be extradited to DC where I'm going to be held in prison until my trial. 
So, which and which someone someone pointed out, right? You know, many people rightly pointed out, is still the case for many of the January six defendants. Yes, um, right. I, I, I got to ask you, practically speaking, what did you do for those two plus days? Do do you jog in place to get out energy? Do you do you just sit there and and count holes on the wall? Like, what do you physically, psychologically do for two days? I, so I paced back and forth from my bed to the metal door which was four and a half steps. It, it was four and a half steps from my bed to the door and four and a half steps back from my door to the bed. And I just paced back and forth and back and forth all through the day, all through the night. Like I just didn't stop. And um, they, I asked at one point a guard walked by and I asked him if I could have a book and he came back with uh, a form and he said, well, if you want to get a book, you have to fill out this form. And um, I, I said, okay, okay. I said, well, after I fill out the form, how long will it take to get the book? And Two he weeks. said, oh, it usually takes about three or four days. <laughs> and I was like, are you, are you kidding me? So at that point, I said to him, okay, like, forget the book. Um, I said, would you, would you please be willing to just bring me a bunch of these forms? And he did. Thank God. He was very nice. He came back and he brought me a small stack of these forms. I had a pen because in your kit, they give you a kit with like a thing of shampoo and a, a toothpaste and stuff. There's a little pen. Um, it doesn't, they take off the hard outer casing. So you just have like that fling, flimsy ink tube inside and then the tip of the pen. So I would pace back and forth for hours. And then I, when I would get like physically exhausted, I would sit down and just try to write. And I would write like I kept it, by the way, I have all of my writings are in a I'd drawer. I'd love to see it physically what that sheet looks like in reality. But Do you want me to get them? <laughs> nah, nah, send me a picture afterwards and then you can okay. tweet it out. It'll be it'll be good. Um, well, I, I'm I won't tweet it out because I'm gonna, okay, sorry, I, I'm I, writing I, a book. I'm writing a book and I'm putting all of I, I'm literally going to copy everything I wrote and put that in the book. But it's um I, I mean, it's literally just the rantings and ramblings of a terrified person like it's sad i mean it's heartbreaking to read uh, there's one page where i literally just wrote the words i'm so scared i'm so scared i'm so scared i'm so scared over and over again and let me out 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 i just like there's a whole page of me just writing let me out and then the rest of it i'm mostly writing in stream of consciousness about my what i'm feeling you know and and, and trying to reassure myself that i'm and it's it's like 18 pages Brandon, chat wants to see okay hang on one sec all right. While Brandon goes, actually, this will be a good time. I'll, I'll, I'll get to some of the super chats. Theophrastus, it's amazing how much the wokeness appears to be a cult, including trying to destroy apostates as if they were traitors. Excuse <clears throat> me, I just choke. Leave, and they go insane. Uh, thank you, Theophrastus. We got Richard Bloom. Brandon, what is your view on CRT? I'm going to keep this one up and see if we can get to it later. Uh, did you see the new... Uh, okay, so this, by the way, there's a fact check, which I'm going to have to go check with the requisite degree of skepticism for all fact checks. Um, it's always good to hear these perspectives. I watched him on Timcast. I couldn't imagine having to choose the lesser of two evils. We're going to get there. Um, what are conservatives conserving at this point? Okay, Brandon, let's see this. I was reading some chats while you were gone. but No worries. If you need to keep going for a little bit, that's cool. Uh, you know, here, I'll, 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 I'll blitz through these. Um, okay, hold on. I got that. Question is, with gay rights mostly in place, how and why has the trans community gained so much power and influence? I think we I think we we we've discussed that, but that might be an entirely different subject. Uh, when did it become necessary to, for anyone to define themselves with their sexuality, sexual orientation? Interesting question. 
Arlie, Arlie Songbird. Viva, what does Brandon think of Pride Month or as it is in your country of Canada Pride season? Um, <laughs> the, that manipulation is prominent on the left and it's, and it's globally. Wish I knew how some can be so clear that it's happening and how others get sucked in. Brandon, I've watched you through your entire journey. You were meant for this. Thank you. Um, Brandon, what do you see yourself first as? An American or a, I don't know, the gay I think is a, 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 a Rakeda meme, a gay guy. And what is more important to you? Oh, I see, my, I see myself as an American first. Um, and the... The gay thing I don't even really think about that much anymore because I don't think that I don't think Americans care, uh, not very much, uh, and not very many people. So I, it just when I tell my story, uh, when I'm doing public speaking, and you know, I talk about being gay, I talk about my experiences in the gay community, I talk about being a gay conservative, but um, it's not it's not something I care about anymore. And I only I only knew it because you had mentioned it in passing on Timcast. It's not, uh, yeah, it didn't. Okay, Brandon, chat. Well, I mean, don't show too much that they're going to blow it up and then and then steal your thoughts and then publish the book before you, but... No, you're not going to be able to see it. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, I don't know if you can see, but this is, I just wrote oh, and wrote... You know what I'll do? I'll do this. Oh, well, now you probably can read it. <laughs> but, um, so I... And these are like multiple you know, pages and stuff too, but Did you write, I, uh, Brandon, were you writing, were you writing lengthwise or was it rectangular way up? For some reason I was writing like almost like a book, like this is one side. And then I was writing on the other side. And then uh, for this one, I did it this way, but then I turned it this, like, I was just, I don't know. I was doing this like book stuff. Look at this. Look at this one. Let me out. 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 I was just like terrified. Terrifying. Brandon, and, it's, it's straight up. I don't want to compare it to you know all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I mean, it's it's straight up like shining level uh, badness oh, yeah. and yeah. and like child level terror. Like I I just sit and it's you go to zoos and this is not to be uh, this is not a, a mean. I don't mean this in any mean way. And there's no but. It's the the distress of a of a caged animal with a certain intelligence pace repetitive behavior you'll notice elephants in two small enclosures they just keep swinging their heads in the same way and and you know of a higher order creature with with a brain i mean it it, it even two days it's it's torture it's torture uh right here on this one i wrote the longer this goes on the more more it feels like it's not real is there any coping adjusting how can anyone stay in a room 23 hours a day please let this end soon please let me stay calm please help me please help me please help me please let me out it's, it, uh, it's, it wasn't it's, good no and 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 you spent 2 days there are some jan 6 defendants still there others a year others den- solitary med- denied medical treatment Okay, but so now, so you get in for two days, two and a half days. They, they, they did they did you say they arrested you on a Monday morning? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I would I would have gotten out uh, in the early morning hours of Wednesday. <clears throat> okay, you get out, and what are, what are the terms of your release in the interim? Like post bond? Uh, what what were the terms of your release to even get out after two and a half days? No, they were really simple. First of all, they didn't even make me post bond. Uh, and second, they, um, it was real simple stuff. Like I had to surrender my passport. 
I had to um, t- promise not to leave the state that I was living in without permission from the court, uh, not travel to Washington, D.C., um, not commit any crimes, and that I had to check in with a uh, pretrial services officer every week. And um, there were just a few things like that. It was very simple. And it was really weird. I'm telling you, it was like very Twilight Zone-ish because as the prosecution is kind of giving their list of um, conditions that they're willing to let me out on, they said uh, to the judge, like, we know Mr. Strzok didn't engage in any violence or vandalism or theft or destruction. So we're we're comfortable with allowing Mr. Strzok out and not seeking his... And I'm like, why did you send an FBI like team in tactical gear to my apartment drag me with like this is insane this is crazy i'm like if if you're so like not worried about me or what or even what i did necessarily why'd you come in with 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 guns ablazing say guns ablazing but they could have called me on the phone and been like we need you to turn yourself in yeah, I, you know, it's like it could like it didn't it was so obvious that this was done to traumatize me, which you just read what I just wrote or you just heard what I just wrote read. Um, it worked, you know, I mean, but this is what they do. Like they'll they'll psychologically put you in the position they want you in. And that's the position they want you making your decisions from. It's they know what they're doing. This is a formula. This is a formula to get from people what they want. So now, um, I mean, we're going to get to your plea deal, but what what did they ultimately charge you with? So they charged me with two felonies and a misdemeanor. They charged me with a felony of occupying restricted grounds, which is just so I I don't know of any other person. As far I think there are 800 people who have been arrested and charged for January 6th. I'm not aware of one other person who got charged with a felony of being on restricted grounds, including people who went inside the Capitol, which I never did. Because I most, never went people got, most people got misdemeanor trespass charges. They got like misdemeanor picketing or parading inside a Capitol, things like that. But I got a felony charge for being on the steps of the east side of the Capitol for eight minutes. Uh, a felony charge of occupying restricted grounds. I got a felony charge of impeding an officer in the line of duty. Because during the eight minutes that I was standing there in my video that I shot, there's a moment about 35 feet away from me where somebody grabs a shield out of an officer's hands. He he comes to the doorframe for a moment and somebody grabs his shield and then uh, several people, there's hundreds of people around, excuse me, I mean, possibly a thousand, but at least hundreds. Several people start chanting. Uh, One person's chanting, take the shield, take the shield. Another person is chanting, take it, take it. Well, the FBI said, we know that's your voice. We know that was you shouting, take the shield, take the shield. So, and by the way, this just puts me in the strangest position like possible because, (laughs) number one, the idea that I would go to a protest that gets out of hand and st- like join in with the crowd, like to, to encourage somebody to, like, it's just, and, and then film myself doing it, film myself doing it and then intentionally upload it for my conservative audience to watch. 
like I have literally I have, at the time I had 666,000 Twitter followers, you know, and then came the big purge and I lost 200,000. But um, at the time, I had 666,000 Twitter followers who are all law and order p- people who are all pro pro police people. So the idea that I would like join in with the crowd and then show my audience that I'm doing that and think that they're going to love watching this is just so preposterous and stupid. Um, but anyway, the F- nonetheless, the FBI says, we know that's you. We know that's your voice. And people, again, people go to brandonstrock.com. My video is on there. You can watch it yourself. And I talk on the video several times. You can hear my voice on the video. You can hear the proximity of my voice to the camera and the fact that my voice always comes through the left channel. Like if you're watching, if you wear headphones, actually, my friend Mikey Harlow said projected onto your TV. He said when you project it onto your TV, it's insane. But I've, I've always watched it with headphones on. Just all I'm saying is just listen, listen to where the voices come from that you're hearing. Um, And then they charged me with a misdemeanor of disorderly conduct with an intent to disrupt a hearing before Congress. And so over the course of the next year, I worked through a plea deal with them where they dropped those felony charges and just charged me with the misdemeanor. But as a basically a condition of my plea deal, I had to confess to being the person who shouted, they changed it. They changed it from take the shield, change the shield, take the shield to take it, take it. Because because people also have to appreciate from the legal perspective, when you plea, you're admitting, you're admitting by, by and large, you're admitting to guilt. They draft up the statement that you're going to agree to. You're going to sign to Brandon. They, uh, and I want to be careful as to what, I don't want to ask you. I don't want to get you into trouble. Um, uh, period. Uh, and, James well, O'Keefe. I already said I confessed to that. So to be well, no, 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 and that's not what I mean. I mean, is in I'm going to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to re- refer to when I interviewed James O'Keefe, and he said the thing that the only thing that he's ever regretted in his life, he said he's not much into regret, but when he bared false witness to himself and admitted to having done something that he didn't do so that he could cut the plea deal, he's re- he, he regrets that, and he said he would never bear false witness again to anybody, especially himself. You, they come in. Pre-dawn raid, charges that could have you in jail for years, assuming that you did anything, but assuming they could prove whatever. You go through the try to get a fair trial in in DC. You're not going to get the Sussman treatment. You're going to get the anti-Sussman, the treatment. Peter you're gonna Navarro get, treatment. You're going right? to get the Navarro treatment. Um, so you agree to plea. You agree to confess to something which, in your heart of hearts, you know you didn't do, but that's the legal reality right now. You you sign the paper, and what did the paper say? Well, hang tight one second. Uh, Sky Queen says you had a a bad attorney, dude. Uh, Sky Queen, you're an idiot. And you're obviously not paying any attention whatsoever to what's going on in these cases. Uh, I I don't know if you have no clue what's going on with January 6th and the January 6th cases. But like this, like, have you happened to notice that nobody, nobody's coming out victorious in January 6th? One, One person, one person was acquitted thus far by a judge, no jury trial. Everyone going for jury trial, they're either pleading or they're sitting there rotting away in jail or right. they're getting convicted and sent it. What did, what did Angeli get? Five years in jail? Five Who? years, uh, uh, QAnon shaman. Five oh, years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, no, I think it's more than that. I think it's like seven and a half. I, I don't know. It's bad. It's, it's really bad. bad. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's half a decade of a human's life. Um, so so what, know, what the plea deal said that I signed 
was that um, I, I'd have to read it again to know all the details, but I, it says that I went onto the Capitol grounds knowing that they were restricted and knowing that I wasn't allowed to be there. There's some mention made of me witnessing police officers doing their best to restrain the crowd. And it says that I witnessed an officer having a shield taken away and that I began shouting, take it, take it, to encourage the crowd to take the shield from an officer. Again, go here, watch my video, and just decide for yourself. That's it. That, I mean, just decide for yourself if that decide for yourself after watching the video, if you feel because remember, I start sh I, sh I shoot the video from like two or three blocks away from the Capitol all the way to when I walk up to the steps. So if you watch my video and you feel like there's evidence of uh, of me seeing police officers struggling with the crowd. Okay. If if you see that in my video, okay. Um, if you feel like it's obvious by watching my video that the, the grounds are restricted and that people aren't allowed to be on the grounds, okay. Great. I just all I'm saying is just watch the video. Nonetheless, I signed uh I, I confessed to all of this, and that's what it is okay. now. Yeah, and and now tell the world who might not have watched the Tim Cast interview. What your what your punishment was? You went from two days, two and a half days in a in a in an eight by six cell. I know, I know. One of your conditions was three months house arrest. I think it was. I think it was three months house house arrest. Yeah. So when I finally got to sentencing, uh, well, let me tell you a few things I didn't actually get the chance to say on Tim's show um, because it's people need to know. Um, okay, and bear in mind, I've already kind of cut to the end where I got a plea deal of a misdemeanor. Right. Okay. So. Um, I pled guilty to one class B misdemeanor. Now that's a mid-level, a misdemeanor is already what the court calls a petty offense. Mm -hmm. So this is a mid-level petty offense. Uh, my lawyer said, you know, it's kind of akin to like playing your music too loud on a Friday night. Um, so, and I have no prior criminal record. So when I got out of jail, um, I was too traumatized to go back to my apartment. I was very scared to go back to my apartment. So I stayed in a hotel for three days. And then when I finally had the nerve to go back to my apartment, when I got there, there was a note on my door saying that I was being kicked out of my apartment. It was from my building manager saying that I had 30 days to vacate the building. And then the next thing that happened was a week or two after that, I got a letter from the government saying that I was, uh, they were revoking my TSA pre-check status that I was no longer considered a low risk traveler um, uh, so, uh, by the government. Um, and then, um, then I went to the airport for the first time a few weeks after that, because I had to take a business trip. And that's when I discovered that I'd been placed on a terrorism watch list. So I have a designation now when I travel, which is called quad S or S S S S on my boarding pass. So when I go, it takes about 30 minutes to be able to check into a flight because the uh, uh, the uh, the airline has to call TSA and TSA has to approve that I'm allowed to get on the plane. And that takes about 30 minutes. And then I get my boarding passes that say SSSS. So when I go up, the TSA is alerted to that and they have to close off a special lane just for me. And they bring over about eight or nine agents. 
And it takes about an hour to two hours to go through this process where they take every item out of my bag and swab it and test it for explosive materials. They swab my hands and my feet and test that for explosive materials. They go, they do a full body pat down, including putting their hands down my pants front and back, uh, several times uh they have to i have to walk through the metal detector twice i have to go through the scanner twice they take pictures of my boarding passes they take pictures of my id uh, and then when i'm finally through this process i go to the gate and when i get to the gate and wait for my flight they bring eight or nine agents to the gate station them all around behind me in front of me and off to my sides and they bring a special machine to the gate so when it's time to start boarding the flight they uh, they give me a full body pat down again in front of all the other passengers, and then they take every item out of my carry on bag again, even though they've just done this. And they take that special machine and they swab everything and test it for explosive materials again, uh, every item in my bag before I can be cleared to get on the plane. So every passenger is watching this happen in terror as they're about I'm about to get on the plane with them. How, how many times has this has this been done to you? Oh, dozens. Dozens. So every time you travel, I, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking pictures and videos to to, to verify everything I'm saying. No, no. I, 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 I look. If you're a liar, the internet's going to find out. Um, I'm just thinking. On the one hand, the cost of this, the aggregate cost of these employees, oh, yeah. the process, and then, like you just mentioned, now, what does this do to anybody else who's getting? Dude, I, I'm a I'm a reasonable person. I I could even know you, but if I see them doing this to you on a plane that I'm getting on. I'm a nervous person. I'm going to, I'm getting very, very scared. This is undermining my everything. Brandon, I, I you did not get into this with Tim cast. Someone no. had brought up, asked in the chat, said, tell, ask him about his, his flying experience. Um, well, there's that, more, there's more keep, keep going, but wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. So the first time that I discovered this, um, Again, it's it sparked all of the PTSD of the FBI raid and going to jail. I, I thought I was going to be arrested again. I thought that's what was going on. And I called my pretrial services officer, Julie, and I said, Julie, I'm at the airport and I think they're about to arrest me again. And she was like, why? And I said, I don't know. They're being really weird. And I was like, they're like putting me through all this scrutiny and stuff. And she was like, you're allowed to travel. She said, if anything happens, call me. So I was already in a state of a lot of fear and trauma and like this PTSD, like coming back, excuse me, but I, I did get on the plane and I was, I, I mean, honestly, I was a wreck because this was the first time I tried to travel since I got arrested. So I'm on the plane and I'm just like, I, I I'm like, sh like almost shaking, just like unable to believe how bad this is. And then I opened my email cause I, you know, I always get Wi-Fi on the plane and I work. And so I opened my email and I have an email from USA today. And USA Today says, um, we're doing a story about you and other insurrectionists who are using crowdfunding to support your legal defense funds and who are using uh, mainstream payment processors like PayPal and Stripe to support your legal defense funds for your you know, insurrection cases. And do you want to make any comment? And I'm going, well, of, you know, of course. So I didn't even, of course, I didn't respond. Um, and then within 24 hours of getting that email, I got emails from PayPal, Venmo, and Stripe saying that I am permanently banned from using their payment processors for the rest of my life. I am not allowed for the rest of my life to use PayPal, Venmo, or Stripe 
because of what ended up being a class B misdemeanor charge for disorderly conduct. I am permanently banned. So because of this permanent ban, this also affects my, not just me, but my organizations. I can no longer process donations to my organizations. And not to mention the fact that also my donor portals to my organizations also banned me. And I was, uh, for my organizations, I was using MailChimp as my email service. I got banned from MailChimp. So I've now lost my ability to process donations. I've lost my ability to email any of my donors and tell them that this has happened. Uh, I've lost my email service. I've lost my event ticket because Walkway, we did events for years. My ticket, my event ticketing service banned me. Uh, my accountant quit. My lawyer quit. I mean, it's like literally my life is collapsing around me, every aspect. And I am being treated like a terrorist, like literally like a terrorist, like somebody who killed a bunch of kids in a school or you know, p- planted a bomb somewhere or something over standing on the steps of the Capitol for eight minutes and, uh, and, and filming and, and then uh, a, a, dis- a misdemeanor for disorderly conduct. So I want you to understand that like this is far beyond just what I went through criminally. This, to this day, I still have like an anxiety disorder about opening my mailbox or if my phone rings and I, I'm, I don't know the number or God forbid somebody knock on my door and I'm not expecting somebody it like I, it's going to take me probably years to get because it got to like every time I opened my mailbox, there was like it was something new. You're banned from this. You're banned from that. You're no longer allowed this. You're restricted from this. The government is uh, preventing you from being able to. I mean, it was just insane and it would not stop. And then in the month of September, about nine or 10 months after I got arrested, I got served. I got a knock on my door and I open the door and somebody hands me a stack of papers this thick that I am being sued by eight Capitol police officers who are suing me under the KKK act saying that I um, violated their civil rights as people of color and engaged in a racially biased attack on them. And they're suing me. And in this, in this lawsuit, and again, Go here and watch my video. In the lawsuit against me, they claim that I violently breached barricades to enter the Capitol grounds and proceeded to attack police officers, including the plaintiffs. And I'm still going through that. I'm still uh, named in this civil case. I, I, Brent, I didn't know. I didn't know this. I didn't know this was where we'd be going. And I flabbergasted is not the word. Um, I, I want I want to ask the legal questions. I might just have to cover this uh, the proceedings if I can get a copy of them. They're public, I presume. Have you made a motion to dismiss on the basis that it's patently frivolous on its face? Yes. Oh, you're a lawyer, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. I forgot. We should talk more <laughs> offline after this is over. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Uh, yes, we have filed a motion to dismiss, and that is where we are right now. So okay. it's, but I, I have to tell you, I mean, you're probably a normal and logical person you would say well this case can't possibly go anywhere this is preposterous i'm a normal and logical person i want to know who encouraged these police officers to take the lawsuit in the first place i'd like to tell you exactly who it's a group called uh and look up their website you'll learn everything you need to know if you look at their website it's called lawyers committee for civil rights under law that's what they're called. Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. It's like a social justice law firm that I guarantee you is funded by the Democrat Party. 
civil rights violation for for the uh, it, 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 Brandon. Unless there's a video that I didn't see, I saw the eight minute and thirty seven second video nope. on a YouTube channel uh, where I believe you show your face at at six minutes and thirty two seconds, where you turn it around, you're wearing a mask yep. or a, 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 a face mask. Sweet merciful goodness! I didn't know this. I didn't know this, and I've learned something new. And I'd like to see a copy of the motion to dismiss. I can I can well, I can break it down. Let, yes, and let me tell you this: if if anything that they were alleging was true, if I violently breached barricades or proceeded to attack officers, even if it wasn't on my video, do you honestly believe the DOJ would have let that go? I mean, do you honestly think they'd be, oh, you know, just a misdemeanor for disorderly conduct will do on a January 6th violence against police officers? Like, are you kidding? I would be I'd be sitting in the D.C. gulag right now if I had done any of those things. But it. It scares the hell out of me because the judge in this case who's going to be deciding, he's also sentencing a lot of these January 6th criminal cases. And he has openly said repeatedly in these uh, criminal cases that you know, Trump uh, Trump uh, incited an insurrection and that, you know, these Trump supporters were violent insurrection. Like this is the person who's deciding if my case is going to get dismissed or not. And I. So I, I mean, this is. I mean, I, I I'm reluctant to ask the name of the judge because you know even things can be weaponized. I'll ask afterwards, and then I'll just see. Because sure. I know that we've seen a number of the judges come up in a number of the cases. There's one judge who seems to be a little more skeptical of all of this. The one who acquitted the individual who he recognized the police said, "Come on in," and says, "You can't arrest him now. You can't convict somebody who went into the Capitol after police overtly let him in." Okay. Um, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at that. I, mean, I have to see mm-hmm. that. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, what else, what else, Brandon? So other than that, how was the theater, uh, Brandon? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's been horrible. I mean, it's been a nightmare. And I mean, the, the thing that's made everything so much worse is that there was just stone silence from the conservative side of the aisle. I mean, I appeared on the Fox news network, uh, way more than 75 times between 2018, 2019 and 2020. And this was just like, it was like, I didn't even exist. I mean, it was just, and that was a huge part of me making the decision to take the plea and everything else because I thought I'm alone. Like I am absolutely alone. Like this, all the work that I did, everything I did to stand up and fight for president Trump, to fight for the Republican party, to, to bring hundreds of thousands of new voters over to the Republican side. It means nothing. It means nothing to these people. Like no one cares. And I like it was very clear to me that I was alone. And so that was hugely influential in me making the decision to plea. And then after five continuances, which was an absolute nightmare. And um, well, I, why don't I just take the, I mean, as long as we're getting into everything, the month of December is when I think that they did the worst thing to me that they did. And my attorney said to me that he believed that they did this because they were experiencing buyer's remorse because he said, um, He said, I think that they believed that by dragging your case out for as long as they did, knowing that you were being because I I quit tweeting, I quit posting. I didn't post a thing on social media for an entire year because I knew that anything I could I said could and would be used against me. And um, so we got to the month of December, which is now almost an entire year after they arrested me. And my sentencing was just weeks away. And he my my attorney said, I think that they realized that they did not destroy you or your following or your career or walk away the way that they had hoped that they would. And that's why they did this. Um, but in the month of December, they dropped a document to the court uh, which they accidentally forgot to to seal. Yes. Hold on. 
in the civil case or in the prosecu- in the criminal prosecution? Criminal case. Nothing has happened in the civil case yet. We've only filed a motion to appeal. There's been no hearing, nothing. So okay. nothing has really tr- transpired in the, the civil case. So this is the criminal case. They uh, were just a few weeks out from my sentencing, and they dropped a document to the court saying that they wanted an extension to uh, another. Uh, this would be like the fifth or sixth extension of my case, that they wanted another one. And they said they 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 wanted it because they said they wanted to talk to me again because they said that they expected that I might turn over information that would result in a change to my sentencing recommendation. Well, within like five minutes of them saying that and, of course, making it public, it became like a worldwide scandal where all of these stories started coming out that Trump ally Brandon Strzok is expected to turn over significant information about January 6th that could result in a change to my sentencing recommendation. It got so out of hand so fast. I mean, people were speculating that I was going to turn over information about Trump and Trump insiders. One thing was one source was saying that I was turning over the names of donors. And I mean, it was just... And I just said to my attorney, what the hell is going on? And I said, we have to address this. Like, we have to, like, put out a statement. And he was like, not until after your sentencing, not until after your I, And I was just like, this is a nightmare. This is like, and I can honestly say, I was so strong through all of this, through the entire year. But that was the moment that I started having thoughts of just, like, ending my life. Because I was like, I'm never going to be able to come back from this. Like, I'm never like they knew that I would be able to come back from everything that they had done up until that point. But they did that so that they would just finish me off, just end me over this stupid lie, this stupid lie of this entire day and this entire stupid story. And um, it was really bad for about a week. And then I put out an email where I just said to people. I, you, I'm sure you guys have read this. I was like, I, I can't address it right now, but I am going to address it. It is not true. Um, and then my people just started coming around to me and saying, like, we know what's going on and we have your back. Don't worry about this. Do what you have to do. We're not going anywhere. I could almost cry right now. And, I, and just like, but they were like, we we know what's going on. Don't worry about it. You know, there might have been like five or six people that were like, I used to trust you and I'll never trust you again. But um, it, it was so I mean, I went into a depression so bad for about two weeks that just like I didn't think I was going to recover from it. And then anyway, I finally got to my sentencing and um, and in my sentencing, I told the judge everything I had gone through. I told her about the terrorism watch list. I told her about being banned from all my email sources in the PayPal and Venmo and Stripe. And I, I told her about losing donors and I told her about the damage to my reputation. And I told her, I, I just said, this is so much for a, mis- a misdemeanor charge. This is just way too much for a disorderly conduct misdemeanor. And she was not moved in the slightest by any of it. And she told me essentially that I needed to be taught a lesson for being a a conservative influencer who would, you know, go to an event like this where things got out of hand and encourage the crowd and all this stuff. And um, so she gave me three months of house arrest, three years of probation, uh, 60 hours of community service, the maximum fine allowable of five thousand dollars. 
I was ordered to pay $500 restitution to the Capitol, even though it was acknowledged that I didn't engage in any violence or vandalism or destruction to the Capitol. And I got court-ordered mental health uh, service. Like, I had to see a court-ordered therapist. And um, so for three months, starting then, I had to put an ankle monitor on, and I wasn't allowed to leave my house for three months. And I, as and as of now, I've completed every piece of my sentencing with the fact with the remainder of two years and eight months more probation. Uh, house arrest. Are, are you in an apartment or are you in a house? Apartment. My same apartment. They came. Oh no, that's. I'm sorry. No, they came and got me in a different apartment, and then I was ordered to leave that apartment. I, I had to find a new place to live, and so no, they came to my. Or I was in my apartment for three months. It's. What does that mean? Do you, are you allowed to go outside and go for jogs? No, no, you cannot leave. You you cannot step outside of the door. How do you, how do you get food? I mean, uh, groceries. Everything was delivered. Um, I so I three was, months, Brandon. I'm sorry, three months. You can't leave an apartment. How big is the apartment? Twelve hundred square feet. Not big. Not big. I no. I mean, it was like. I was trying to be cool because it was, after my sentencing, I I started going back on social media and posting again and talking again. Um, and I didn't want my followers to think I was like, you know, having a breakdown or something. But I mean, it was it was horrible. I, I mean, because you have to understand you're taking a person whose life has just been brutalized for an entire year. I'm traumatized. I have been raided. I have been jailed. I have had my organization ripped apart, my name ripped apart. If you Google my name now, it's just 25 pages of terrorist, insurrectionist, uh, rioter, uh, all of the amazing work that I did for Walkaway for three years. You can't even find it anymore. It's like it didn't even exist. And and now you're taking a person in that mental state and telling them that they have to sit by themselves for three months in an apartment with a monitor on their ankle that, you know, only the federal government can track you. And so it just it's it's just psychological torture. I mean, that's that's all these people care about. Uh, it's um... I mean, what, what what lesson does that teach somebody like that? I, what's oh, well. You know, we're going to make you not able to leave your home for three months, and that'll teach you not to, you know, go to a protest and stand on the stage. Like, no, this what, is, what's the lesson? I mean, I, I, look, there's there's two cynical ways of looking at this. One is obviously this is pure political persecution. Make an example of you, not just for you, but for anyone else who's hearing this. Uh, and the, and the second, this this is this is how you turn a non-criminal into a criminal. This is how you. I, right. Is, right. Um, no, I mean, hundred percent. And I, look, I'm not going to say. I can tell you that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has been instilled in me now feelings of paranoia and um, anger and resentment. And I, I mean, all of those things. It, it's, I mean, you're right. I mean, look, no, I don't have a compulsion to go out and commit more crimes or, or, or commit crimes, period. I would commit crimes because I'm not convinced from anyhow. No, uh, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. But I'm just saying that, yeah, I, I that you can you can actually abuse power to the point where you drive somebody to a state of becoming what you accuse them of in the first place, which was never true. I think you can make somebody a terrorist. I think you can make somebody an insurrectionist by abusing them to the point where 
they i i mean an individual who is being just absolutely bullied and and abused by the the power the full might of the federal government it's it's a really sick thing how did you get sunlight while you're in your apartment for three months i didn't i didn't um i have uh it's it's a it's not a big apartment and there's only it's a weird apartment it's it's two bedrooms but there's only windows on one side um so i only have windows facing the street and they're small windows so i mean i would sometimes go open the window and just lean out but <laughs> how did you get exercise for 3 months i bought a treadmill okay so i i did uh i did run on my treadmill and um, did you did you I mean I, did you start drinking? Did you start doing any sort of mind no. altering? You didn't you didn't you didn't fall back into that? No, I won't let them have that. But I will tell you, it's the closest I've gotten in seven and a half years because it's the pain is just so intense, and it's the injustice is just so intense. I mean, when you when you build something as i did that just it's it's amazing i mean i'm sorry but it's amazing what i did it's amazing and when somebody comes and just stomps on it and over a lie over a complete and total lie and then you see that people are celebrating i see people in the comments right now celebrating that this happened to me and you know and i don't i can tell you let me tell you this i feel the same way about Black Lives Matter and Antifa as these people feel about January 6th people, my my political opponents. And I can tell you, if if the Donald Trump DOJ was doing to Black Lives Matter people or Antifa people what the Joe Biden DOJ is doing to J6ers, I would not be okay with it. And I would not be celebrating it. I don't care. I don't care if you're a an anarchist who loves the Democratic Party. If you were standing at a protest filming a video of other people doing things that maybe they shouldn't have been doing. But if you were standing there filming a video for eight minutes and you got FBI rounded and uh, raided and taken to jail and like and banned from being able to send and receive funds and being able to travel and being able, I would say this is insane. This is not OK. Like, and so I, I, for anyone who's celebrating just because that's how much you hate Donald Trump or you hate people who voted for Donald Trump, like get a life and get a brain. Because if you think that this can't happen to you just because you go and vote for anybody uh, who has Democrat next to their name, once anything like this is normalized in this country, it, we're all fair game. So stop being so stupid. No, I, I think, you know, the people, there's some people who are just genuine trolls. They think it's edgy, funny. You can say things. There's other people who, who genuinely relish in it. And I, and I've got to tell you something, you know, bona fide convicted, the big T rhymes with Schmerists should not, it, good people stood up against Guantanamo Bay. Uh, good people stood up against waterboarding. Uh, all, this is humans, even, even, even criminal humans deserve a certain uh, amount of, of, of humanity. I, I had no idea it was this bad brand. And I thought it was, you know, just your plea, the three months house arrest. I thought you could go out and go grocery shopping, leave and you had to stay within a vicinity. Um, man. Okay. I, I, oh, um, well, actually, okay. Let me correct that then because you just reminded me. So what happens, I actually forgot this. What happens is after you're on house arrest for two weeks, 
then you begin banking four hours a week. So what happens is you can, you can take your four hours in two sessions. You can either take one four hour session a week, or you can take two, two hour sessions a week. And that's when you're allowed to get uh, gas or go to the grocery store or things like that. But I mean, I did basically order Instacart and stuff, but I had actually forgotten about that. Every week you're allowed after the first two weeks, you're allowed four hours a week to like run errands, get your hair cut, things like that. God, God, God bless. I love big brother. Thank them for their generosity. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, well, I want to be honest. I didn't want to, because I, I, I was like, Oh, I actually forgot that that was, no, a first of all, I mean, it, it's also entirely understandable that in this ordeal of, of psychological, emotional, financial, financial stress, it, it becomes a haze. It becomes a blur. I mean, I, I can't two weeks. First of all, two weeks when we had, when we had the Rona and we had to, you know, couldn't go. I, 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 we could, we could be in the country and I'd go and, and jog because I wouldn't come into contact with people. This is, this is absolute torture. Nothing less, probably more. Um, and now I, uh, there's, a, there's a child who's come down here who doesn't seem to be in bed yet for no, for no good reason. For no good reason. <laughs> oh, he slept in the car while he was driving today. So that might explain it. Um, Brandon, <laughs> I, look, there's, I think we still have more to talk about. And maybe we can do a 2.0. Sure. Uh, what, what what are you up to now? Like, so we need a silver lining to this. I, yeah. I don't want to, no, because the psychological trauma, it, it, it's going to last. Anyone who calls you a baby just has no idea. No. I, I once, once upon a time in the practice of law had a difficult client and I'm, be, I'm understating it. And it left lingering trauma. Every time I saw a vehicle of a certain make, my heart would stop. Um, what you've gone through is exponentially worse. It's, 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 I don't think anyone in the chat Anyone watching this had the slightest idea. I, I, Mom's watching it. Okay. Now my <laughs> wife knows as well. Um, it, it's, 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 it's beyond comprehension. I, I, I mean, I don't want to fabricate a silver lining. And, and it's not true that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, sometimes it actually, it, it can break you and it can traumatize you as a human. Yes. How have you come through this on a personal human level? And what are you up to these days? Well, uh, I, to your point, I'd like to let people know in case they don't know that there's another defendant named Matthew Perna, who I believe was only charged with misdemeanors who ended up taking his own life uh, because he just couldn't handle how bad this is. And I, it's, I don't know him. I never knew him, but I I'm willing to say it's not because he's weak or because he it's because that's how bad this has been. Um, And um. I'm moving on. I'm moving forward. Uh, so, you know, my organization is still alive and well. Um, I was very blessed that I didn't have to let any of my employees go or uh, shut down operations or anything. I mean, that's a result of the fact that we were um, very financially cautious and put a good amount of money aside to get through something like this. Um, but you know, walk away. We just did our first live event in a year and a half in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, which was great. Um, I uh, w- uh, this coming Saturday, I'm going to be in Arizona. So if anybody is in the Arizona area, please come out and see me. I'm actually doing a, a walk away event with Carrie K- Lake, who's running for governor of uh, of Arizona, and she's amazing. I mean, she's really amazing. So I mean, if you want to come out and just like meet me, shake my hand, uh, give me a hug, take a picture, hear me speak. Um, if you're anywhere in Arizona, please go to. 
walkawaycampaign.com and there's tickets. It's, tickets are only 35 bucks. I mean, it's not a big deal. Uh, please come out and support because it'll, it'll mean a lot to me and my team. And you'll see how great walkaway events are because they're awesome. Like, and go to our website to like search around on our website. Like I said, look at all the cool stuff we're doing. Um, I think you'll be really inspired and really moved and surprised by how much we've done. Um, and the, uh, we're going to be launching our own social platform in the coming months that we're calling Walkaway Social. And this is designed to um, to replace the Facebook group that Facebook banned after January 6th, which had the 510,000 people and growing who had told their you know, video and written testimonials, this beautiful, amazing community. Um, this is not something to replace Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. It's literally just for walkaway and it's going to be a testimonial community where you can create a profile and chat with each other and like engage just like you do on Facebook, but it's not going to be open source where you go on and you create a profile and post pictures of your kids and your dinner and your dog. And, you know, it's just about walkaway. Um, so we're going to be launching that in the coming months, which I think is going to be a political game changer. And I think it's going to be really exciting and really, really cool. And, um, so, that, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of coming back from this. And I guess to answer your question, like about me, um, it's it, it's going to be a process. I mean, it's just it's going to be a process and it's going to take time because every time I think I'm out of it, I, I have another day or two that's just horrible uh, where I can't stop thinking about everything that I've lost and how bad it was and how betrayed I feel and how alone I have felt and how angry I feel that people on my side of the aisle didn't stand up for me um, and that people in positions of power on my side of the aisle don't seem to care that this happened. And then I come out of it again and then I feel good and then it goes back and it's, it's just going to take time. It's going to take time, but I can tell you that I'm going to win in the end and I'm going to come out of this better and stronger and smarter and more powerful, I think, than I was before. Uh, but I think it's just going to take time to get there. And speaking of which, uh, Super Chat says, Brandon, is it true that Elon Musk donated to your movement? He got no. red big time? I okay. wish, no, I wish that was true. Uh, no. Uh, please do, Elon. And, <laughs> hey, people. And everyone snip, watching. Snip and share, and maybe Elon will donate to the campaign. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, the funny thing is, like, I, I can't imagine that you could have, I hope that you've come out, even financially speaking, uh, on the winning end, but there's not a, there's not enough money on earth that can compensate someone uh, for what you've gone through, from what you've described. And I had no idea it was as it was as bad as as uh, atrocious. Yeah. Atrocious no. is the word. No, and I mean, I I I don't really know how I would come out on the winning end. I mean, I still have. So I can tell you that I spent uh, well into six figures on my criminal case. Um, so I, I would estimate that I spent a uh, hundred. $20,000 on my criminal case on a, I just want to swear so badly on a misdemeanor on a misdemeanor case that much. And then, and then that prompted the civil case, which I've already spent 50,000 more. Oh my in, God. In the, bl in the blink of an eye, you spend it. I mean, I, I know oh, how yeah. it works. Oh my God. Well, because you know, they write the motion to dismiss, which they have to do all the research for, and that takes a long time and it's expensive. And then the other side says, Oh, well, we're going to amend our complaint based off of your motion to dismiss. Mm -hmm. Then you have to write a new motion to dismiss. Who is this darling person? <laughs> this is my number three who should be in bed, but he's not. Although what his hair smells good. Okay, get out of here. Go. His hair smells no, good. No, no, no. He can stay. Okay. Come. Let's see. You're going you're gonna to talk some law. Okay, yeah. You <laughs> we all kind of have the same hair. 
Yeah, either way. <laughs> I don't know where he gets the blonde hair from, Marion. <laughs> that texture, that is what my hair looks like if I grow it and I don't bl- like you've seen me with longer hair, but it's like I blow dry it really yep, smooth it and was- straight. But if I don't do that, it is literally exactly like yours. That's exactly what my hair is like. Yeah, and it, my hair used to be much lighter when I was a kid, then it gets dark and then it turns gray, and thus is the circle of life. Because you get older. Because <laughs> you get older. <laughs> well, um, and that's honestly, I th- I think I've been so traumatized and like dragged you know through it that i too like my hair is getting very gray on the side oh, okay. well, you, you look, you're still looking good but there's no question brandon it's it's oh yeah um okay i'm gonna put your links are gonna be posted up brandon we, we're gonna stick around and talk for a few minutes after this um everybody you know what to do i mean i there's there's still more so brandon you're gonna have to come back on and we're gonna we're gonna carry on yeah. with version 2.0 uh can, is I, there can I tell everybody like, oh go for it can i tell everybody just a couple of things real quick Please, because I was going to ask you if, I, if there's anything I forgot to ask you or didn't get around that you want to say. Now, just the time. that would help. That, that would help. So, um, uh, the first thing is if you're in Arizona, please go to walkwaycampaign.com and get tickets to come see us this Saturday at my Arizona event. Like, please do that because it'll you'll love it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, the other thing I would say is please follow me on all my social platforms. And I mean, like, literally, it takes two minutes. Just literally follow me on all my social platforms. And the way to do it, is go to my website, brandonstrock.com. I've got them all just sitting right there on my homepage. If you try to go to Twitter, you they've given me what's called a search ban, so you can type in my entire name and, put, and it won't pop up. So the easiest way, just literally go to my website and click the Twitter link and then just follow. Please follow me, Twitter, Facebook, Getter, Truth Social, YouTube. I'm on YouTube. Um, and uh, please join my email list, which you can also get on at brandonstrock.com. Um, just sign up for it. And then you have to either go into your inbox or your spam and you'll have an email from me, open it, click confirm, and then you'll be signed up. Uh, that's the best thing you can do. So I can send you, e- and I only send emails once, twice a week. If I'm not crazy. And, uh, if anybody wants to help with a uh, legal defense fund, it's also there on my website, brandonstrock.com. So that's my thing. Follow me on socials, join my email list. And if you're able to make a contribution to my legal defense fund, please consider it at brandonstrock.com and come see me in Arizona on saturday and for anybody who was watching yesterday and uh they i was deciding what movie to watch with my oldest kid we didn't go with train spotting i erred on the side of caution and i adhered to the good advice of the chat and we watched a couple of (laughs) we watched we watched a couple of episodes of uh better call Saul, which i think is more age appropriate no it's not uh better call Saul has its moments um no i watched a granny once oh jeez get get out of here um (laughs) he thinks it's like okay brandon we're we're gonna be in touch but you stick around we're gonna say our proper goodbyes afterwards everyone in the chat clip snip share especially the bit about elon get get elon's attention on this because like the person said elon has been thoroughly red-pilled and uh, i i i mean what the, your story tonight is bordering on the black pill for me, but I'm going to take your uh, survival of this as the white, yes, lining white pill part. But yeah, and guys, get on uh, Twitter or whatever else and tag Joe Rogan because <laughs> I really, I really want to get my story to Joe Rogan because I, I think that's the Joe best Rogan. way to make sure everyone hears this. Like I, I don't know him, I don't have a connection to him, uh, but I, I would love to be able to sit down with him and tell him this. I think. Hold on a second. I, I will not often use children as props. Do you know who Joe Rogan is? No. Okay. <laughs> um, this is the moment. This is how Twitter works, people. 
if this snippet tweet gets 1,000 retweets, Joe Rogan is contractually obliged to have Brandon Strzok on the show. That's how it works. That's how the internet works, people. It's a Uh, law. Let's see if we can do it. Brandon, stick around. Oh, so people say Michael Malice. Let's let's I I will message Malice as well. But yeah, I, I had no idea it was quite as bad. Three hours, yeah. and I still feel like I have questions to ask you. Yeah, we um, can do it again. We'll do it again. Okay, everyone in the chat, thank you all very much. You know what to do: share, snippet, support. Go check out Brandon. Um, I'll see you all tomorrow. But Brandon, stick around, and we will talk for a few more minutes. Everyone else, hold on. I, I you can't. I can't end the. Good night, guys. With-